Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here Joined by the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will be reviewing the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals of the 2019 New Japan Cup, as well as covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns at socialsuplex.com. Go to socialsuplex.com slash subscribe. To sign up to get all the podcasts and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. This episode of Keeping It Strong Style is brought to you by Powerslam.tv. Powerslam TV is an independent streaming service with over 4,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use the promo code Social Suplex to get your free uh, month trial. Also, check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex to get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. You can also get other shirts from the shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Also, April 7th is right around the corner. Suplex Mania will be happening April 7th at the Hooters across from Madison Square Garden. That's right, we're hosting our first ever live event and WrestleMania watch party. Come on out if you're going to be in the New York area. For WrestleMania, and you're not actually going to WrestleMania, come watch WrestleMania with us at Hooters across from Madison Square Garden. There's going to be drink specials. I talked to the manager last week. The the Hooters girls will be out, and they'll be wearing wrestling t-shirts. What? It's going to be a good time. I hope one of them is dressed like mankind. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be in full, full gear, but... Oh, full gear challenge. <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to hit them up. I'm going to hit up their marketing manager. I'm going to be like, look, this would be much better if you get one of these girls. Not all the girls. Just one of the girls to dress like Mick Foley. <laughs> Actually, I need three girls Mick all Foley. dressed like Mick Foley. Dude, no, four, four girls. So you get Mick Foley, Dude Love, Cactus Jack, and Mankind. Yeah. But I'm partial. I, I would love 
to see like a really really hot like we uh i suppose say wing house uh, not it's not wing house it's the original hooters yes. <laughs> but a really hot hooters chick like like really nice fitted like freaking button up with like a crazy tie and like a mr socko on her hand and she's got like facial hair and like dirt and like a patch of skin missing like in the top of her head <laughs> and like um and the mask, the leather mask, like, I'm into that. I don't know. Oh, and, like, baggy, not, like, we're not talking um, brown tights era mankind. We're talking, like, the white tennis shoes and, like, baggy pants. pants. Yeah, the baggy yeah. dress pants. Maybe maybe they spray some, like, uh, some black spray paint on the shirt and turn it into a referee shirt. I don't know. They should get creative with it. But, like, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for. And if they don't deliver on this, and it was one of the demands that we talked about when we were brokering this deal, then I'm out. <laughs> I don't quite remember that uh, clause in the in the deal, but uh, we will be out there. I was super very explicit. <laughs> we'll be up on the second floor. We have the whole second floor. We do. Yeah, we're gonna be. Ha- Wait, I didn't know that. Yeah, talk. Uh, I'm gonna get you to talk to you about this. So, but uh, yeah, we got the second floor. Oh my god, guys, we cannot be in an empty second floor. Please come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, dude, they're they're opening the door. They're they're pulling up the red carpet for us, guys. Yeah. It, it like. If you haven't gone online and actually seen what this uh, Hooters looks like, like it's Hooters is always a fine establishment. So I'm not about to sit here and bury Hooters, especially when we're working with them. But I'll tell you, there's Hooters, and then there's other Hooters. This is like the nicest Hooters. This is like a five star Hooters. This, this is a this is the Okada Omega of Hooters. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, it actually is like incredible. When, when they showed us the pictures, I was like. Y'all want us to come do live podcasting? Like, so we have the whole second floor. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Guys, you got to show up, like, like, because I'm telling you, I cannot be working like a half-empty cork and crowd. Okay, we need. I need like, it needs to be like the freaking New Japan Cup Finals or like we need a sellout. We need you guys to be there. And I'm telling you, like, they're gonna play. There. I mean, it is WrestleMania. But that's what you're there for. You came to New York to watch WrestleMania. What better way to watch it than watch it with your boys? Yes. Watch it with the young boy so we can bury this shit. <laughs> so we can talk mad crap. So we can watch Shinsuke Nakamura. Just Is he even on the show? As of right now, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> that guy had a title shot last year. Let's not even start how. Yeah, let's talk it. But um, well, 5 p.m. will be there. We'll be doing the live podcast portion starting at 5. I'll be there. Young boy. Rich Latta and James Boyd from One Nation Radio. I think we're going to have a run-in from uh, Chris Bryan and Jeremy Tate from Grown Men Watch This Shit. Also, I think uh, Floyd from All Things Elite is going to try and make a quick run-in before he goes to Mania. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be out there. We'll probably be talking about our favorite matches that we saw over the WrestleMania weekend. We're all going to different shows. Um, so we're I'm Listen, sure- it, it's a huge packed weekend. There's going to be so much to talk about, so much to discuss. But we're definitely going to be getting into the Pearl discussion. Trust me. Jeremy's going to be going to a Joshi show. Yeah, I'm going we're, to stardom. We're going to be at all these different shows where we're going to you know, be seeing like New Japan talent of days gone by, end of today. Um, also, before we move on, real quick, if you can help me get a ticket to, to Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, please hit your boy up. Guys. You can just call me Tetsuya Naito because timing has never been right for me. <laughs> I couldn't get these tickets until some uh, 
until some finances moved around. The finances moved around and the crap sold out. I don't have a ticket to uh, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. I know Jeremy wants to go as well. I know Rich wants to go. If we can get multiple tickets, great, but I have to be at that show. I have to, have to, have to. I will do what it takes. <laughs> Please reach yeah, out to so, your boy. Yeah, so if you find if you're on social media, hit us up at the show, uh, Twitter at KI Strong Style. Slide into the DMs if you have the hookup for Bloodsport. Guys, please. But in more important news, please, we want you guys to be there. We want to hang out with you guys. We want to put faces to the names of our listeners. Yes, I mean, so many people, I, I know a lot of you guys are going to be in New York. And, um, you know, you guys are, you know, the best out there, man. You guys have been supporting us from day one. So we want you out there. Suplex Mania, 5 p.m. And here's the thing. Hooters. No cover. Right. We're no, not charging you guys a cover. There's no ticket. You don't have to buy a ticket. You literally show up. Tell them that you're there for the WrestleMania watch party. For Suplex Mania. For Suplex Mania. Tell them why you're there. You get in free. You're going to be getting raffle tickets. You're going to get to take part in everything that we're doing. The giveaways, the live podcasting, the questions portion of it. You get to watch WrestleMania, which probably costs at this point, what? Tickets are more than $100 no matter what. Save that money. Come with your boys. Watch it on the big screen because... Who wants to go into MetLife Stadium? It's going to snow. It's going <laughs> to snow, you guys. I don't know if you guys heard about this. There's probably going to be a blizzard. Don't go watch WrestleMania in a blizzard. Come downtown. Watch it in Hooters. Get yourself some wings. Get yourself a bunch of drinks. We're all taking the metros. We're all taking the, you know, get lit with your boys. Because we're going to be getting lit. If you know anything about how we were last WrestleMania weekend, it was crazy. Yeah, it was a wild time. Live podcasting. Who knows what's going to happen? Hooters girls, wrestling shirts. It's going to be dope. Trust me. you got to be there. And tell your friends to be there. And it's free. And you're going to be in New York anyways, so just show up. Right. Why you know, stay at home and watch it in your hotel, your rental, whatever? Come on out. Enjoy this night with the guys from Social Suplex. There's going to be tons of wrestling fans in the city. Tons of fans coming to this event. So come on out, guys. Not only that, almost anywhere else that you go in the city, they're going to be charging you for this. This is a free event with drink specials, with giveaways, with the best wrestling coverage on the entire effing internet. It's the, <laughs> it's social effing suplex. It's keeping it effing strong style. You know what I'm saying? So, guys, come out. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm freaking stoked about it. I'm ready to, like, cut a freaking promo on this thing. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm super hyped. I mean, this is going to be a great opportunity uh, for Social Suplex. I mean. And we and, and at that point, we'll get to, like, celebrate the new two-year reign of Kazushika Okada. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We get to, we get to celebrate everything that's going to happen on that uh freaking G1 card G1, G1 super card that G1 super card so yeah it's going to be awesome all right so we got some new Japan Cup uh shows to review and wrap up here bro so many Dude. like this how many shows was it 14 shows 12 12 in what 3 weeks about right yeah like two and a half something like that Yep, three three weeks. Yeah, it's a lot, bro. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> a lot of content, but uh, yeah. It, uh, overall, thought it was a great tournament, man. I, I enjoyed majority of everything I watched here, but uh, so yeah, let, let's um kick it off the quarterfinals where we left off. 
Um, so night nine quarterfinals, we had uh, the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii taking on um, the headhunter Yoshihashi. Yeah, so we come to you from Twin Mese Shizoku in Shizoku, Shizoka, Japan. And um, yeah, man, like chaos explodes. Yeah, I mean, we've been seeing um, multiple chaos versus chaos matches in this tournament. We kind of touched on it last week and wondering if, you know, this was kind of like some kind of story that they were telling with Okada. Um, some kind, you know, this kind of like a test kind of thing or building uh, respect uh, back up for the, the members of Chaos. But here we had Ishii and Yoshihashi. What do you think about this matchup? Um, I will talk about it because we I've got nothing but praise for Ishii when it comes to this uh, this tournament. But I I feel and may, I know we talked a little bit about this and the, we don't hold all the same opinions. But I feel like this was. In my opinion, the big misfire of Ishii's um, tournament, not necessarily due to him, but more so I would say due to Yoshihashi, which, you know, I come on here and I do talk negatively about Yoshihashi pretty unabashedly, but, you know, the majority of the time Yoshihashi does really deliver when it comes to in-ring. I didn't feel that here. I didn't feel like this was the the right match for him. I don't know, something about Yoshihashi trying to come off like, you know, one of these pro strongmen of old and like go toe-to-toe with Yoshihashi really didn't resonate well with me, even more so than the Taichi match, you know, which I had some criticisms but was ultimately a great match. I felt like Yoshihashi was trying too hard to come off that way. Not only that, but like... Butterfly lock spots, you know, in this were extremely long and kind of brought like the whole match to a halt for me. And um, yeah, I mean, Yoshihashi was in there giving an effort, but I feel like at that point, I understand the story that they're doing with all with it being an all chaos block, but I kind of felt like Yoshihashi shouldn't got this far in the tournament. Well, we're we're a little bit um, different opinion of this match because I thought this match was great. And I thought it was one of the better Yoshihashi matches I've seen since I've been consistently watching this product. And I thought the story that they were trying to tell here, they were telling the story of every Ishii match, except Ishii was playing the role of the other guy, and Yoshihashi was playing the role of Ishii. Typical Ishii match, he's the underdog, um, fighting from behind, fighting up against this bigger, stronger opponent. Um, and I think that's the role that Yoshihashi was in here, and I, I think he played it well. You know, my problem with Yoshihashi a lot of times is, you know, from a in-ring standpoint, like you mentioned, he's a good um, technical, you know, t- good tactician. He has the in-ring basics. He's a solid worker. The thing that misses for Yoshihashi for me for most of his big matches are the emotion um, and just kind of the, his, his uh, facial expressions and just, you know, it's hard to get emotionally invested in a Yoshihashi singles match, but here I felt like Ishii draw the emotion out of him, fired him up. This guy never seems fired up. He was fired up here. Ishii slapping in his face, ripping the the tape off of his shoulder, really pushing and nudging him, taking him to that next level. And I, I that's what I, that's what I saw here. I thought Yoshihashi came through. Yeah, I mean once um once Ishii started like busting out backdrops and power bombs. 
the match did definitely pick up. And this isn't to say that the match was just completely awful, because I don't think it's possible with Ishii for that to be the case. Right. So I'm not going to sit here and say, like, this was, you know, the worst match in the world or anything like that. But I and maybe it's just, to me, I watched this early in the morning when I was, like, pretty alert, as opposed to some of the other matches. I haven't been as alert. So I, I think I was, like, more, like, centered in on what was going on. And so... Usually, I feel like if I wasn't paying a lot of attention, some of the early plotting stuff with Yoshihashi um, probably would have got a pass from me because I probably wouldn't have noticed how much time had passed. And you know, but I was really tuned in, and I felt like while I was tuned in, I was like, "This is not good." Until things picked up, and you know, I'm not necessarily someone who who's going to bury something for being slow as long as it's building and and is setting a foundation. Um, I could totally agree with you. I see, you know, where the story was going there, but to me, I don't know. Just um, Yoshihashi trying to play like Kobashi or you know Sasuke, and you know, do all these crazy strike exchanges and like kill Ishii. I feel like it was the wrong guy to do it with. It didn't come off believable to me, anyways. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of plotting in those long. You know, butterfly locks. I know I'm probably going to get buried for having this opinion, but, <laughs> you know, we got to keep a 100 on here. Yeah, man. Yeah. Tell yeah, your honest opinion, man. You know, not not everybody's going to agree and like the same stuff, but. You know. I, I thought that, you know what I thought, to be honest with you? I thought Ishii was great when he was doing the bumbling stuff that you were talking about. I thought Yoshihashi looked completely out of his element trying to be that domineering guy when the role started to reverse and. and Ishii started to hit him with the big bombs and everything, and then Yoshihashi was from underneath and hitting the Desperation Lariats. He looked great. So I will give him that. I thought the close of this match was pretty good. And I, to me, and maybe it's just my opinion, maybe we'll disagree, I felt like Yoshihashi showed his strength in being the underdog. Ishii can play underdog or, or be on top, but I don't think Yoshihashi can be on top of guys like that. Right. I do think, yeah. I think they should consider going forward in Yoshihashi matches, having him be the underdog role, because I thought he was a great underdog here and just truly trying to fight from behind. And you, who is she? Uh, Yoshihashi. Oh, Yoshihashi. Because you, you know that Ishii is a tougher guy. You know Ishii is you know the better competitor, and just seeing Yoshihashi muster up everything he could to go toe to toe with Ishii, I thought really elevated him, made him look great here, made him look a credible. Um, you know, wrestler, um, and they need to tell more of this kind of story with Yoshihashi going forward. I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, I went probably like three and a quarter on this. <laughs> it's kind of wow. low. Yeah. I, I went four flat on this. Yeah, I was pretty low on it, but I will tell you this. Um, you cut off five minutes of some of that early Yoshihashi stuff, and I might be inclined to bump it up a, a couple quarter stars, so that that's kind of where I stand with it. But, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, Ishii gets the win here. Yeah, gets to win with the uh, vertical drop brain buster. Um, And so then the next match, we have another chaos versus chaos matchup as the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada takes on the assassin Will Ospreay. Yeah, so I mean, this this was a match that like went about the same amount of time, like 20 minutes or so. Both matches got about 20 minutes and some change. And to me... And again, I, I hate to kind of go back to the other one, but I feel like this was night and day, like where the other one had plotting and things like this. This one was like an ex- exhibition of just incredible athleticism. Like I really, really, really enjoyed this match. 
I enjoyed this match too. Um, I did think it, it, it started off um, a little bit slow, but not in a bad way. It, it built, uh, you know, kind of the match crescendoed at the right time. It had that kind of slow build up into the exciting closing stretch. You mean because of the mat work in the beginning? Yeah. Uh, and see, and I loved the mat work. Like, I really, like, dug the mat work. Right. And, and, like, when I say it's slow, I wasn't knocking it. Like, I wasn't expecting these guys to come out here and start, you know, start the match off with, like, super kicks and, you know, backflips or anything. But, you know, it had a nice gradual build um, to that the closing stretch. Uh, but I will say, you know, I felt that the pacing and just the overall quality of this match, it was almost like this was a TV match. Like, these guys were, like, the main event. It was like a Monday Night Raw or SmackDown main event. It's a TV main event. So, you know, you don't want to go all out on TV. You want to save it for um, a pay-per-view. And so, I, I felt like, to me, knowing what Osprey and Okada are capable of, I felt that they didn't go all out here. And I feel like if these guys main event um, a, you know, a big tour show, I think we see a better matchup here. Oh, I absolutely agree. Uh, we've seen these um, two competitors go head-to-head -head on two separate occasions. The Rep Pro show that they did years ago, and then just last year at the anniversary show, they headlined you know, with the Junior versus IWGP uh, you know, champion match, champion versus champion. Um, I think that this match was not as good as either of those matches, but was different for many different, you know, for several reasons. Um, that being said, I, I like the analogy that you're using there of calling it a TV match. I would be inclined to say, I don't know, because sometimes some of those, you know, when you're watching those, um, not that I watch WWE, but, you know, sometimes when you're watching like a Seth Rollins or like a, a, a Dolph Ziggler, like TV match, you're right in the mechanics, but then, you know, at the end, they always get really melodramatic and they make it seem like it's the biggest deal in the world. And it's kind of like, you know, that's the WWE style. I would call this more, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I would call this, like, an exhibition. Yeah. It just felt like two guys going in there, sort of like that 70s, like, baby face, you know? Like, I respect you, you respect me, let's show them what, what, what we got. Not that, yeah. they're, not that they're just doing, like, you know, you know five-minute toeholds or whatever, but it kind of had that feel which I didn't really like, if you want my honest opinion, because of the fact that this is supposed to be for the New Japan Cup. It's You wouldn't really get that. You don't normally get that kind of vibe from, say, a G1 match because of the importance every match holds. I can't remember too many times where like two stablemates got in there and it was just strictly business, respected, and felt like an athletic exhibition. Yeah, and especially, too, because in the, in the multi-man matches leading up it to this... It was heated. Uh, yeah, Osprey was kind of in Okada's face, and, I mean, the story here was almost like Okada's a big brother, um, Osprey's a little brother, and the little brother's, you know, trying to prove he's as good or better than the big brother, uh, but once again, the big brother has to set the little brother in his place. I did like, though, the escalation, you know, so they started with really good mat work, and then wound up outside, and then you know, came back to the ring, were trading bigger moves. Um, I thought the pacing and the build of the match was really, really good. Um, you know, and the whole time in this match, which I felt was different, Osprey didn't look like strictly just an underdog. Like, yes, Okada had the upper hand, but they portrayed, they gave Osprey more in this match and portrayed him as more of an equal 
than they had in those two prior junior matches that they'd had, or, you know, when he was a junior, um, kind of going up against, I guess he still technically is, but they're not really portraying him as such. Um, what I did like, though, was how Osprey first attempted to use, like, a high-flying move. You know, he leapt off the barrier when they were on the outside, mm-hmm. and Okada countered it. Yeah. And so kind of, like, let him know, like, I've scouted you, I've got you, like, kind of pegged. And then throughout the match, like, Osprey started working in the high-flying spots until, you know, at the very, very end when he had to do the uh, the two shooting star presses, which... Yeah, I love that spot, the double shooting stars. I think he should do that for a finished against a guy like a Tai Chi or somebody like a little bit lower. Let's uh, keep him away from Tai Chi, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I think that might be in our future. Uh, also, I love um, both counters of the Oz Cutter. There was a counter into a German suplex by Okada, and then there was also the second counter. Uh, he drop kicked him in midair from the Oz Cutter. I love that. And then from there, he uh, gave him a tombstone. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really, really, really liked this. Um, I just, you know, again, I just thought it wasn't hot enough for the kind of singles matches that this could have been or was. You know, um, I think a lot of people felt like it was... I think a lot of people in the bracket, you know, uh, competition didn't put them head-to-head because they thought it was too big of a match to give away. And they kind of found a way to give the way the match away without making it into this massive, you know... Tokyo Dome esque right. match. They they left some yeah. stuff on the table. Well, yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah, I'm not saying that they right. should have. I, I, I know out. some people might be like, "Oh, how how you, how can you have complaints about Okada Osprey?" And dude, this was a great match. Yeah, I, I rated it four and a quarter. I, I'm right there with but you. I thought the, it was about four and a quarter. At the end of the day, when I see those, when I see Okada and Osprey on the card, I'm expecting four and a half or higher. It's not really so much the match quality for me. I, I think it was a good idea for them to leave something to be desired so we can anticipate the bigger match that they're going to have down the road when and if that does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just the lack of heat yeah. um, coming from them, which didn't line up with the build like you had mentioned. Right. And looking at the previous match, the Ishii Yoshihashi, I mean, those guys were pretty heated. And you could tell, yeah. like... Those guys were fighting. I would agree. Um, you know that the New Japan Cup, the World Title shot is on the line. Like, Ishii was that way in every single match right. this tournament. Though. He's like, I don't care if you're chaos. Ishii's that way in every match of his entire life. Right. Ishii care. came out of his mom, and he was that way. <laughs> came out and brain busted the doctor. Uh, freaking bit the umbilical cord and just, just freed himself. Yeah, uh, just throwing headbutts from that age. Yeah, so yeah, they had to keep him locked up in the nursery by himself because <laughs> he was headbutting kids and just going crazy. But but, uh, but yeah, I mean, once I still thought it was a great match, and it's definitely you know one of the recommended matches of the tournament. I, I yeah, I would really recommend this. I thought it was a very very good match. Um, you know, I think it was a good way to kind of measure where Will is and his progression within the company and his ascension to the top of the card. Um, you know, I think down the road they got a better match than them. But, yeah, this was great. I wouldn't call it match of the year or anything, but this was not like a skip or a miss or anything. I mean, I but I will – I think it was – to me was the – out of I like their other two matches better than this one. Yeah, I definitely like the anniversary show match better. I don't, Th- this might be better than the Red Pro match. I don't know. It's... I, I honestly, I don't. I don't think I've seen the Red Pro match. We watched it together last year. We did. Yeah. Oh well, I don't remember. It. <laughs> <laughs> I, I showed you. I was like, you have to see this. And then after we watched it, you were like, that was good. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, dude, I've watched. Look at the uh, impression it's left with you, dude. You know how much matches I probably watched since the last time we watched that match. <laughs> yeah. Not, and not just New Japan. <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, but yeah, I definitely I remember the anniversary match, and I like the anniversary match better than this match. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree. Looking forward to their next matchup, and I'm sure it'll 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 be on a bigger tour, and um, you know. Give and, us what we're looking for. And so after night nine, that effectively eliminates Yoshihashi and uh, Will Ospreay, leaving us with a A-block semifinal match of Kazushika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. Now we go over to the B-block. And on night 10, um, or day 10, night 10, however you want to say it, we start off with uh, the first quarterfinal match between uh, Seiya Sonata and Colt Boom Boom Cabana. Yeah, so I mean, this match was uh, classic. <laughs> uh, it was fine. Uh, I mean, was Col- it was it even fine? Would you say that it was fine? Here's the thing: like, Cabana matches, you know, they're they're comedy matches. Like, I don't go into a you know 2018-2019 Cabana match expecting you know, some kind of Matt classic or for him to, like, you know, be some kind of crazy workhorse. I'm expecting, you know, comedy, shenanigans, and, you know, that's what that's how they've been establishing him in New Japan as, like, another, like, comedy character. And, you know, his, his little jokes and antics have been getting over with the crowd. The crowd's been laughing, getting behind him, think he's funny, think he's, they kind of see him almost like a Toriano, I'm guessing, based on their reactions to him. And so he's getting over with the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And so in this match, I wasn't expecting Sonata. I wasn't expecting Coco Band to go all out. And with Sonata, the, the pattern that we've kind of been seeing is he kind of wrestles almost to the level of who he's in the ring with. So I, I wasn't expecting Sonata to go all out either. You know what? I wouldn't criticize Sonata for this match. I would criticize Colt right. Cabana. I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm I didn't. Not. I didn't think Sonata wrestled to Colt's level. I think Colt couldn't wrestle to Sonata's, Sonata's level in this particular match. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like Sonata couldn't go all out here. I I think Sonata was trying really hard actually in this per- in this particular match. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you most of the time. I, I I do think Sonata has a tendency to wrestle to other guys' levels, but you know once they hit the outside, I felt like Cabana like was trying to work this style, but that, like I don't know if it was just. Uh, communication issues or you know different styles but i didn't feel like cabana right and i think too because so at the beginning of the match you got more of the antics and i think towards the end of the match he was trying to be a little bit more of a serious cabana he was I trying mean, to wrestle like the strong style you know the japanese right you and know he, he busted out the uh the billy goats curse the uh the inverted uh boston crab that he's made famous in ring of honor but again, it's one of those spots where the crowd didn't recognize it. You know, me as a Ring of Honor yeah. guy that's watched Cabana for years, I'm like, oh, you know, Billy Goes Curse, you know, pop for that spot. But, you know, nobody knows that's. I bet you did. <laughs> I bet you popped mad at heart. You were like, oh my God, the Billy Goes Curse. Uh, you know, those those fans didn't know that's one of Cabana's finishers. So, but. Let me ask you this before we move on. Um, so, obviously, there was. We touched on it last week and it kind of came to fruition. Sonata's ascension and potential promotion was a big storyline and a big focus here in this tournament. Um, we wind up with a semifinal of him versus Colt Cabana. Do you think that Gato made the right booking? Because ultimately, Sonata was going to go over no matter who it was at this point. Do you think that they put him in there with the right guy to equip him to have a good accounting of himself at this point? To go to move on into you know the semifinals and ultimately the finals, 
Or do you think that there could have been a better matchup here other than Colt Cabana for Sonata? I think there could have been a better matchup. Um, I think they could have went with somebody, um, you know, a little bit um, like I think Suzuki would have probably have been a better matchup going into the semifinals and quarterfinals. Well, assuming, let's just assume that we still had the same brackets that we wound up with, you know, so he gets Goto the first round, he gets Sonata, um, Sonata gets Goto the first round, gets Suzuki the second round. Coming out of that other mini block, you had the option of Davy Boy Smith Jr., Toriano, or Makabe. I got to tell you, for me personally, I think I would have taken Dave Boy Smith. Any of those three. <laughs> Over Colt Cabana. Yeah, I think I would have, you know, give uh, Dave Boy Smith Jr. a little run and um, had him up against Sonata. You know, especially based off their history with the KES-LIJ rivalry. Yeah. Uh, they could have played that story into the match. Yeah, I think those two guys work well together. Uh, another thing, too, is, um, well, a couple things. Um, I think Colt Cabana looks out of shape, to be honest with you. is something I noticed on this tour. Um he is an older guy, and he is a little less active, so it's not me sitting here saying, like, oh, you know, do some DDP yoga or whatever. Right. But I am I was a little worried about the guy being able to kind of go at the New Japan level. He was doing comedy stuff, so I, right. get, and I, I think get it. With his shape, and, that, and I think that's why he developed that comedy style, is so that he can keep wrestling, and, you know, he doesn't have to be, you know, jacked to the gills or anything. He can he can do this comedy style for a long time. Like you mentioned, I mean, he's mainly a commentator on Ring of Honor. He's, he, still, he still does a lot of international tours and yeah. stuff. But he's not like a serious guy. I mean, he's not somebody that the like, companies are like bidding for, trying to get as you know one of their top that's, stars. That's not true. WWE will sign him tomorrow. If he was a free agent, <laughs> he would he would be on the Largo Loop. Uh, they will sign, bro, anybody. He'll be out there with uh, Albert Hardy. <sighs> Who's that? ACH. Oh. <laughs> He'll be out there with Stokely Hathaway. You mean Court Moore? Well, yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is give and take. I got to tell you, I think Colt did get over on this tour, and I think down the line we're going to continue to see him in New Japan. I do. Um, and so that's kind of a nice thing, and I'm not, like, totally opposed to it. I get it. So I understand that they were kind of trying to establish Colt Cabana yeah. as, like, a new and character. I, and I think guys like Colt Cabana and Toriano – are good to have on the card and to, make, I agree. to mix things up and to change it up a little bit. I agree, but I also feel like this. I feel like you could have got you could have had Colt have one or two matches in this tournament, get him out of there, and then do his shtick on the undercard in those multi-man matches. I think it would still get over, and and I feel like you would have been doing Sonata a bit of a favor because this match to me was. Of all the semifinal matches, this was the weakest and the worst one. Yeah. And um, the only thing about it that it, that's kind of nice, it was, I mean, I don't know. They went 15 minutes, so it did go a while. But it kind of felt like Sonata got a little breather before going into the semis. It did, yeah. So there is that element to the story. But I don't know if that's what you want the story to be if you're trying to elevate a guy. Because, I mean, that's not what – remember last year, that's not what they really did with, say, Zack Sabre on his run. You know, they made right. him go he, through killers. Yeah, he went through the aces. Yeah, and Sonata – you know, he beat Colt Cabana, so you can't take the victory away from him, and I'm not trying to. I think it's great, but I just feel like if you would put him in there, even with Toriano, bro, I feel like they would have had a better... I feel like him and Makabe, they all would have had right. better matches than Colt Cabana. I don't think that this was the right way to go, honestly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, ultimately, Sonata gets the win with Skull N and, uh, you know, picks up the submission victory moving on to the semifinals. 
Yep, and so the next up we had uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on the submission master Zack Saber Jr. So this match was a big deal, um, if you know, for you New Japan historians and history buffs. Um, the finals of the New Japan Cup uh, last year was Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on Zack Saber Jr. Um, you know, we're just about one year separated from that match, just a, a year prior. Zack Saber at this point in the tournament. They're calling him Mr. March, you know, booking him as this unbeatable force, um, you know, to, you know, basically put him in a bracket system where he's facing a lot of the same guys that he beat the year prior. And um, Hiroshi Tanahashi has his work cut out for him. Yeah, um, you know, they did a great job of building up Zach here and kind of giving him almost that killer run like they did last year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it places the seed of doubt in your mind. Could Tanahashi beat Saber again, or is Saber gonna, you know, tap him out and go on to semis? It didn't. It didn't put doubt in my mind. It put assurance in my mind. Saber was gonna beat Tanahashi. I was very confident about this. Very, very confident. Yeah, I mean, to me, at the point, you know, when Saber knocked out Ibushi, I was like, well, he's going to the fi- <laughs> he's, he's going to the finals again. Uh, Bro, we I made some bold proclamations just one week ago at this table. On this show, on your podcast network of choice, wherever you choose to get your podcasts, wherever you listen to us, I made some bold proclamations, and I was freaking wrong, bro. Dude, a lot of people were wrong. I mean, very rarely am I this wrong. Like this was like a, a big swing and a miss. Yeah, like, well, I think way it was off. it was a red herring. I mean, Gato, no, this was a red herring. You're right. With Saber on the same track as last year, and said, like, oh well. He's gonna, he's gonna. Oh yeah, he's gonna tap out Tanahashi, no problem, and go on to the semifinals. Yeah, totally overlooking the fact of what they had planned coming up after this match. Uh, so what, what do you think overall of the match, though? Um, so I liked this match. I went about four and a quarter on it. Um, I also liked the storyline that they had been kind of planting, talking about Tanahashi wanting to main event in Madison Square Garden being a Fujinami aficionado and using his finishers and his maneuvers to try to uh, make his way into Madison Square Garden. You know, the connection being that, you know, Fujinami had wrestled in Madison Square Garden for the, you know, when they were partnered with WWF back in the days. So I, I kind of liked that aspect to the storylines, you know, mm-hmm. Tanahashi's quest to, you know, live out his idol's dream. Zack Sabre, you know, trying to repeat here in the tournament. But um, I did not think that this stood up to the same um, level of excellence that their previous encounter last year had. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like this is almost similar to Okada Osprey that we were just yeah. talking about. They left a lot on the table. And, you know, in the news we'll figure out, we'll find out why they left, um, you know, some of the table here. But I, like you mentioned, I still thought it was a good match. I also rated it four and a quarter. Um, this was a very, you know, grappling and submission-heavy match. So if you're not a fan of that style, you might rate this match a little bit lower. I, I think what was nice about it was, you know, to, just to give it some some background and praise, Saber came in extremely confident and extremely cocky, thinking that Tanahashi shot you know, and that he pretty much had his number because he beat him the year prior, and mm-hmm. then also his, his deteriorating health and that sort of thing. And that's really what was his undoing. 
you know, and a lot of times with Saber, that's what gets him in trouble is when he is overconfident. He plays with his food before he eats it, mm-hmm. and he gives the guy too many opportunities to make their way back into the match, and that's what happened here. Um, I agree with you. I think it was, you know, it was grappling heavy, and sometimes we always talk about with Zack Saber, it's like a double edged sword. Sometimes, like when he's on, he's on, and, and like it's really, you know, dynamic and compelling. Other times, it's the Zack Saber match that you've kind of seen a lot of times, and I've actually heard a lot of people kind of criticizing him recently, saying, you know, they're getting tired of seeing the same, the same old shit, that sort of thing with yeah. him. Um, I, I didn't think this was like the most dynamic saber match. I still enjoyed it, but I like that style more than other people. I could see how guys were maybe less on it than I was, but I thought it was a good match. Um, I really was impressed though with Tanahashi in this match. Yeah, I like you know Tanahashi another story of this match um, avoiding using the high fly flow. Uh, he hasn't used he didn't use it the like whole, the whole tournament up yeah, to this point. Yeah, um, and just focusing more on you know. A strike base and more submission. You know, a lot of uh, Fujinami um, offense in the match. I was, yeah, I thought Tanahashi looked good here. Yeah, yeah. Commentary. I thought commentary did a really good job telling the story of Tanahashi seeing him wrestle in Madison Square Garden as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's what got him into wrestling and why he's fighting so hard to to be on the MSG card against White. Plus, to get his revenge, you know, for losing the title just a month prior. So yeah, I, I really liked all that stuff. Uh, but this match basically, you know, 21 minutes, 35 seconds, and we go to the end. Um, you know, Saber basically uh, looked for the Zack driver. Tanahashi got the O'Connor roll. Saber counters that into the orienteering with Napalm Death, which is what he defeated. Yeah, dude. When he, when he put on the orienteering with Napalm Death, I thought it was over. That's what he defeated him with last year, and I was like, oh, he did it again. He They got me on that one. Yeah, they really, I do. And when I, I was like, oh, it's over. Yeah. Uh, Tanahashi manages to stomp his way out. Nothing like kicking a guy in the head to get out of a submission hold. Uh, hits a dragon screw, but Saber counters back into a European clutch for two. They trade strikes, and Tanahashi hits a reverse sling blade, which I popped super hard for. And um, Japanese leg clutch hold finishes Saber. Shades of Fujinami. Yeah, dude, I thought it was great that Tanahashi beat Saber with one of these like wacky roll up um, hold kind of things. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and you know Saber was. Fuming after the three count that he was, you know, outmaneuvered by Tanahashi here. Bro, I mean, you know how often I praise Fujinami as, like, being, like, just the most underrated and, like, unheralded guy of his time. Like, um, yeah, I love Tatsumi Fujinami. Like, that's my boy. So, I, yeah, I really dug that. And I actually popped really hard when I saw him get that pin. I was like, yes. Dude, yeah, dude. When he, yeah, he had him rolled up. And as soon as Retsu's hit three, I was like, heck yeah, go ace. And it, it's it's a little bit of retribution because how often does Zack Sabre get these wacky rolls on guys? And, you know, he got he got did. Yeah, he got he got outmaneuvered here. And so that advanced uh, Tanahashi on to the next round. So we go to night eleven, the semifinals, uh, two the the two final block matches. So uh, Kazushika Okada taking on teammate Tomohiro Ishii and Sonata against Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I gotta tell you, bro, this was like the most excited I've been for a double match all year since like Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, dude, these were yeah two stacked matchups on this night here, especially since like. These both of these guys or all four of these guys have so much history with one another and have a demonstrated history of like 
chemistry with one another and big, you know, uh, great performances and big matches. And so, yeah, I was very, very, very excited for this. Yeah, so let's start off with Kazuchika Okada versus Tomohiro Ishii. Man. (laughs) (laughs) What a hell of a match this one, man. Have you, uh, I gotta ask you, have you seen their 2016 G1 match? I have not. Bro, you gotta watch that match because if you like this match, I'm telling you, like, you'll love that match. But um, I loved this, bro. I loved this. Yeah, dude. I mean, this was, you know, heavy hitting. Um, like we mentioned, you know, Ishii not caring that Okada's his fellow Chaos teammate, his Chaos leader. Ishii was going out there to w- try to win this New Japan Cup, man. Here's the thing. And this is the thing that it struck me as... So when I watched the first match between these guys in the G1, um, maybe it was the 2015 G1. I might be misquoting that. No, it was 2016. Um, you know, I was more of a casual viewer of New Japan, even though I, I've always watched New Japan throughout the years. At that point in time, I was a more casual viewer up at that point. Mm-hmm. And I understood that they'd been in a team together, and I'd understood that they, you know, were, you know, that sort of thing. But I didn't really fully comprehend at the time the fact that they never wrestled each other in a singles before. And then they come out there and they bust a five-star match out of nowhere. Then you see this match and it's just excellence again. And it's only their second time wrestling one another. The kind of chemistry that these guys have is on a level of like... Bro, you would think that they've been working each other every night for months and months and months, bro. Right, dude. And, dude, the crowd was so invested in this match, man. The crowd was hot for this whole match. Like, that's the thing that always blows me away about these two guys is how everything is so seamless. Everything is so smooth. Uh, These are two truly, two of the most truly, like, greatest wrestlers and workers, like, in the world today. And the crowd, yeah, like you said, the crowd, bro, was so into this. And dude, man, Ishii, dude, just looked, once again, just looked phenomenal. I loved his counter of the Rainmaker into an arm bar, dude. Yep. He, he had that arm bar locked in deep. And Okada needs to be careful, man. He was making some movements that looked like some tap outs to me. Yeah, he tapped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Red Shoes needs to, you know, get, get some. Uh, you know, set some boundaries on what these guys can do with their hands and submission holes. We, you know what's funny? I, we do see that a lot in New Japan Pro Wrestling where a guy's like, ah, and they're like tap, hitting the ground. I'm like, that's a tap, dude. Yeah. You know what's always funny? Going back and watching like old, like before tapping out was a thing and then watching guys tap out all the time like in submission holds. I think I was watching like Brett and and uh, and Owen. Yeah. And Owen. From WrestleMania 10? I think it was that one. Or maybe, maybe it might have been their SummerSlam match, but like Brett or Owen's got Brett in the sharpshooter and Brett is like literally tapping out and I'm like it's over <laughs> he beat him like 15 he beat him like 10 minutes before the match actually ended like <laughs> this they, they were trying to screw Owen Hart out there bro <laughs> oh man but yeah but uh yeah that arm bar was dude he had it in deep I was like dude is, is Ishii able to tap out Okada here and go to the finals uh but yeah Okada was eventually you know able to get back to the rope and then that um the top rope superplex looked so devastating. Who's got a better top rope superplex, uh, Ishii or Pac? Ah, dude, that's a hard one. 
I mean, Pac actually used his as a finish. Um, and every time he hit it, it was like picture perfect, like picturesque, like, oh my God, like yeah. devastating. I don't know, man. Ishii's was awesome too. And the crowd bought into that being a, a, a near fall, being a, a false finish. Yeah. I, I did I mean like I didn't think it was over but I could totally see that and I mean it popped me like super huge dude yeah I mean that's that he should use that as a finisher that, that's the thing you know we talk about timing pacing psychology and so many people are like no it's all about these flips it's all about <laughs> these spots you know and it's like when the, you know and that's true you know you want to see exciting stuff but the guys that you appreciate the most and the guys that you enjoy watching rest, wrestle the moch the moch the most they're doing the same stuff that the local indie guy does. They're just doing it at the precise time when it matters the most so that everything has the most effect. And, like, Ishii and Okada are two ma- masters of that. Like, they do it, you know, how many times have you seen a guy get superplexed off the top rope? Like, a million times. All the time. We see, it, we see it all the time. Yeah. But you see it in this match under these circumstances at that moment. With that amount of drama, and it becomes something so much yeah, it more special. Yeah, yeah, it sucks you in and it makes you believe like the match could be over here. As opposed to like you go to like some you know shindy little indie freaking promotion, and like three minutes in, dude's like, <laughs> dude's <laughs> super, dude's gonna superplex the guy off the top rope. Like, why, bro? Yeah, you know. And then, but then it's funny because it's like we like to talk. You know, we complain and we're like, well, where's the psychology? People are like. Ain't no psychology. It's about these flips. Like, no, this stuff matters. Like, this is why, even if you don't acknowledge it, this is why we like pro wrestling. You know, we, we might not always, like, acknowledge it, but, like, this, when stuff there, matters, that's why you care. Yeah. That's storytelling. Yeah. This you know, is excellent. You, you, t- you hear the veterans talk about, you know, making moves mean something, make, yeah. making the most of every movement. Like, that's, this is what was displayed on this this match right here. Here's the other thing, too. Okada was freaking vicious with the drop kicks in this match. And also, there was a little hint and element. And I haven't heard anyone else say this, but it's something I picked up on. I feel like they were borrowing quite a bit from the first Omega Okada match. Mm. Because the whole story of that match was, if Omega were to hit the one-winged angel, it would have been over. But he never did. Mm-hmm. How many times did Okada get out of the brain buster, bro? A lot. Like, and, and you know what the other thing is, too? When he got hit with the Brain Buster the one time in the one match they ever had, he went out. So he was like, nah, Chief. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> Not today. You can you, you can stay over there with that Brain Buster. Hold this Rainmaker. So, yeah, I really – I thought that uh, the, the counter with the um, – the Rainmaker counter with the armbar was excellent. I think all the counters Okada had to the Brain Buster every time he slipped out of it, every time you thought that it was about to happen. Yeah, he it sli- just, slipped right out, dude. It just reminded me of every time Kenny Omega was putting him up for the one-winged angel, and I was like, ah, oh, they're telling a story here, bro. Yeah. This is good. Dude, and just – dude, Okada killed him with the John Woo drop kick. Dude, that front drop kick, man, that was awesome. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, he was killing with those those drop kicks, bro. Little, little Ishii, bro. Like he's a, that man's a junior out there. <laughs> yeah. Dude, the last ten minutes of this match, dude. Were Excellent, just, dude. It's that. But but the match was only 20, 21 minutes. So you mean like the whole last half? Yes, so, dude. The <laughs> last. I mean, the first half was great too. But the, the last half kicked in gear, and we got the excellent Okada closing stretch. Yeah. Oh, dude. So Ishii uh, cuts him off with that lariat for the one count. Which was just like, bro, I popped so hard for that. And hits a, another lariat, gets a great near fall, 
Okada fights off the Brain Buster, hits a drop kick. The Rainmaker gets countered again into Lariats, but Okada hits the Tombstone. And finally, a Rainmaker finishes Ishii, and my heart freaking broke. Dude, he drilled him with that Tombstone. Yeah, yeah, because that man has no neck. There's, <laughs> there's, there's no fear. Yeah, yeah, dude. It, you know, the end of the uh, you know this incredible tournament run from the Stone Pit Bull. But this was a war, bro. Yeah. This is a war. Both guys delivered. Great story. So many callbacks to their G1 match that Ishii won. Crowd was invested. Everything was amazing. The story was excellent and just very violent. I loved it. Um, one of the best matches of the entire tournament. One of the best matches of the year in New Japan so far. Um, I did last week make a very bold proclamation and said if these two guys wrestled, this would be the match of the tournament. I didn't get quite there. It came close. It came close. What, what were you on snowflakes on this one? I'm four and a half. Okay. And I, I, I got to tell you, and I think that this is kind of like, it's funny. I'm not trying to be that guy, but I don't feel like there was hardly, actually, now I think about it. There was a lot of rematches in this entire tournament, a lot. And I feel like I just keep saying, I liked it. Not as good as blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that – and I, this is just a spoiler alert. I don't think any match in this entire tournament was better than most of the matches that they were rematches of prior in careers. So I just want to preface that and say it now so that I don't wind up sounding like a broken record. Yeah. I didn't think this was as good as their G1 match from 2016. But it was a fitting sequel. You know, if that match was Godfather Part 1, this is definitely Godfather Part 2. This was great. Yeah, I went uh, 4.75 on this. Oof! Yo, you're overrating shit. <laughs> you're Dave Meltzer out here in these streets, boy. <laughs> I, Bro. Guess I, I guess I am. I went, the, I went five snowflakes I know. on Abushi and Naito. <laughs> you know what's funny, bro? You're the only person I know that that I like actually know that went five stars. On no, that. Kasanka went five on it too. Larry Kasanka did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. Just you and Larry. You guys yeah. stand alone. Yeah, I guess we do, man. I, yeah, I threw the five snowflakes. What did Dave on, give that? Uh, four and a half. Oh, so he was right there with me. <laughs> I guess I'm I'm a good star rater. Nah, he's crazy too. He be overrating shit all the time. Yeah. Like, some some I'm like, bro. I be telling you guys. <laughs> now this is not a podcast where we bury Dave Meltzer like. Some of the other podcasts on our network, Ricky and Clive. <coughs> <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, I think sometimes Dave is kinda kinda crazy. But you know what? The thing about star ratings, they're subjective. They're not. They're all based on the per- personal preference and what you like. No, I bumped that. There's accurate and inaccurate. I don't know. I, I think I'm pretty accurate. You're pretty no, you are. You're actually yeah, absolutely. I think you're a very accurate star rater. I, I hardly even do it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so awesome matchup. Um, so then the main event of this evening, the hometown hero, the hometown boy, Sonata, taking on the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Were you surprised that this got the head billing over Okada Ishii? Because I was. I wasn't when I figured out it was his hometown. Yeah. And that the next night was in his hometown as well. I was like, ah. I see what you're doing here, Gato. Kind of, yeah. Once I realized, that, I was like, uh, rope, rope. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, dude. Me, dude. I sound like an idiot now. Last week, <laughs> totally counting out Sonata. Well, here's the thing. Like, 
You were moving, like, yeah, bro. Like, you I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little Sonata story there. <laughs> that's not, that's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. It's, 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 it's gonna, be, you know, it's gonna be, you know, Okada Tanahashi or Okada Saber. Bro, I like normally we're we don't have a lot of like we don't have a lot of things where we don't like I don't know not that we agree but like that there's not cohesion. But you just kept moving past Sonata, and I was like, whoa, 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 stop moving past Sonata. Like, this is a real thing that could happen, and you're like, I, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, like, you went through, like, Saber's storyline, and you, like, bypassed him, and then you went through Tanahashi's storyline, and you bypassed him, and I was like, yeah, but bro, like, Sonata might be there, and you're like, eh. <laughs> but I, I got to tell you, like, obviously, I'm just as egregiously um, – you know, my, my call was just as egregious. I had Zack Sabre going all the way. But there was this... I mean, I, I listened to the episode last week, so I remember I was saying, I was like, dude, they could be elevating Sonata to go to these finals. Yeah. And also, too, one of the things, if you, you got to pay attention to the booking. If you look at his last two tournaments, every year he advanced one higher than the year previous. So the first time he made it to the in the New Japan Cup, yeah. Mean? First year he made it to the corner, last year he made it to the semi, this year he made it to the finals. Yeah, I think I I didn't know that specifically, but I think I did say he you know he went so far last year and it mm-hmm. wouldn't be too too crazy for him to go past that. I mean they just took the title belts off of him and uh, Evil kind of freeing them up to to do some single stuff and um you know and that was the th- that was the thing that I'd mentioned is like you know with Sonata. If you do him in Tanahashi or you do him in Saber, either way, you have a built-in storyline because of the history between the competitors. With you know, with Sonata, you know, when he first broke into New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, in his debut match during the G1, this is the guy that he wrestled, and this is the guy that he beat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of a lot of history between Sonata and Tanahashi, and um, I gotta tell you, I really enjoyed this match a lot. Yeah, dude, I thought this was a great match, and, you know, it was, you know, a different, you know, kind of layout than the previous match. Um, you know, the first match was kind of a hard-hitting war. This one was almost more of a technical, um, kind of classic, a lot of counters and uh, grappling and mat wrestling, a lot of back and forth kind of going on here. Um, we saw a lot of side headlocks, a lot of cravats. <laughs> you know how I feel about the cravat. Yes. Uh Sonata here, you know, leaning a lot into his um, great Muda, um, training and influence here in this match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I thought this was, it was a great match. Yeah, I, I'm all about, you know, the classic main event uh, style. You know, I, I enjoy that when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling. This fits right in the template of many classic, like, uh, 90s New Japan style matches. I, yeah, I, I really, really liked this a lot. Um, I did see people talking about feeling like it was slow in the beginning. Um, I thought that they, you know, had a really good pace to start out, and it just built upon that as time went on. But obviously things started culminating in the middle of the match when we started getting a lot of, like, um, submission, uh, you know, like the Cloverleaf and, you know, Hurricane Rana's and, you know, a lot of different teases for you know, the, uh, like the skull end and that sort of thing. And it kind yeah. of really became a, you know, a battle for the submission, which I liked a lot. Yeah, and dude, I thought the skull ends looked really good um, in this match. You uh, think he's been listening to the show? Uh, maybe. 
someone. We we do have some um, audience in Japan. If we look in the, in the analytics, Japan is one of our top ten countries that this network is listened to. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, maybe in the Lij bus, you know, those guys every Tuesday they pop in their keeping it strong style. I think I think they I think they go to the family restaurant and listen to some keeping it strong style. And you know, and you know, you know, Bushi's like, hey, Sonata, you hear you hear this guy's <laughs> talking about your skull in? You need to lock this thing in tighter, man. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like, I just, I really, really, really enjoyed this match like a lot. Yeah, dude, I love the ending where um, Tanahashi he's going for the same rolling clutch that he used to beat Saber with, and yeah. Sonata catches him with the skull in, and dude, Tanahashi taps out. Well, he was fading. Yeah. He was fading. And he, then he came to and he had to tap out. Yeah, I mean, they, they could have gone with the, the fade finish, which is what they typically try to do to protect, you know, top guys. But, dude, they had, they had a Tom to tap. You know, this is a little off subject, so I'm going to I'm gonna throw something out there. Um, but I feel like this is – I don't know how you could work it into pro wrestling, but I think it's an interesting uh, aspect. I like when rest, pro wrestling embraces sports-centric sort of things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was listening to a podcast with uh, Kaul Usman, who is the new uh, UFC welterweight champion. I, did you? I don't know if you got to see that fight where he beat up Tyron Woodley. Uh, yes, I did see that, yeah. And he just freaking destroyed him like bad, yeah. bad, bad, bad. Well, I was listening to a podcast with him, and he was talking about the first time he ever lost a fight. And I'll, I'll spare the details, but he basically was getting choked out. And he said he didn't want to tap out at all, but he didn't know how to how to defend the, the choke. And before the fight, they had told all the competitors, if you get choked out, it's an automatic six-month suspension medically. So not, not if, you, if you get choked out unconscious. Right. So he here he is basically telling himself like yo it took me all this time to get this fight if I if I like get passed out it's going to be another 6 months where I don't get to fight I can't make money for my family so instead he had to tap out I feel like stuff like that would be really interesting if there was like harsh penalties on guys for like you know like if you got choked unconscious or you got knocked out you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. Not saying that guys should really like, but that's, I mean, you know how we talk about writing guys off? <clears throat> yeah. That's how you could write a guy off. Like, oh, he's fine, but he's on medical suspension or something right, like, like that. Right, the medical team is not going to clear him. They're not going to clear because him. Because he, you know, submitted this, he had his choke hole or he got hit with a brain buster and, then, and like knocked out. And then at that point, if like the crowd was educated to some degree on some of this, they would be telling themselves like, they might empathize with like a baby face having to tap out as opposed to taking like a medical suspension. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that that's an interesting thing to maybe try to like introduce in small increments into pro wrestling. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it would be definitely an interesting take to try out. I think it could work if you get the fans educated on those uh, type of finishes. Um, but you know, once again, man, this is a great match. Um, hometown boy wins it. Um, he did the post. It was just the, the night where he did the thing with the phones. Yeah, yeah, you know, he had everybody turn their their cell phone lights on and turn the lights off, cut a little promo. Dude, the crowd was freaking eating this up. Dude, they were eating Sonata up this whole match, man. Yeah, I wouldn't call this match, you know, like a war or anything like that. Like, the match before is really violent. Right. But this was like a classic back-and-forth wrestling match. A lot of great counter work, a lot of great chain wrestling. 
Um, callbacks to their previous matches, especially that first G1 match that they had. Um, you know, all the, like, allusions to Muda with Sonata, all the allusions to Fujinami with Tanahashi. I thought that was great. Um, Tanahashi recognizing the environment that he was in and playing subtle heel to... Dude, Tanahashi is great at doing that. Yeah. Knowing when the crowd's not going to be behind him. Um, you know, like the Umino match, um, he was going pretty much full heel. Uh, Isn't that like so Bret Hart? Yes. That's so Bret Hart, bro. <laughs> it's so, like, he's so smart. And then finding a way to, like, still be beloved at the end of it all, but playing subtle heel and just made, making the people get behind the baby face. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then, um, yeah, I thought everything came off super well here. I was, I was about four and a quarter. I will tell you this again, and I'm going to say it. I didn't like this match as much as their previous G1 match. But with that being said, I wasn't surprised to see Sonata get the win here. After after listening to the show last week, mm-hmm. like I feel like if I hadn't have dug in so hard into the Sabre train, I probably would have picked Sonata. Because even when people are like, you know, how how shocked are you guys going to be when Sonata goes all the way? And like at first, remember last week we got that question. At first yeah. I was like, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And then I was like, eh. Madison Square Garden, no way Sonata's going to Madison Square Garden. Right. But I did say last week, I could see him going to the to the finals. And once, you know, it didn't make sense to me for them to do. Once I saw that it was going to be Tanahashi and Sonata, I figured that this is what they're going to do. Because I, did, I didn't want to see uh, Tanahashi and right. Okada again. And two, two, two big things for me that I totally overlooked was the fact that semifinals and finals were in Sonata's hometown. Yeah. And the fact that each year in the tournament, he's gotten one step closer to uh, than the year previous. You got to do your homework, bro. Yeah, you do, man. <laughs> it's, you know, you know. there's no, there's no storytellings or long-term booking in New Japan, right? There's just stuff just happens, right? I mean, who, how would I have seen this, Josh? <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> All right, so uh, now we're going to move on to the final night here of the New Japan Cup. Um, on this night, we're going to kind of run through um, the undercard real quick before we get to the two um, big matches at the end. Um, just going over the results and any kind of notable things that have happened um, on this undercard. Um, so we start the night off with uh, Manobu Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata taking on the team of Yuya Yuyamura and Yota Suji. Um, it's what you expect here. The uh, New Japan Dads pick up the win against the Young Boys in a, a solid opener. We had Kevin Kelly, Rocky Romero, and Excalibur on commentary as well. What did you think about uh, Excalibur? You know, I thought Excalibur was good. Um, you know, I've heard we heard his commentary at All In, heard his commentary on some PWG stuff. Um, he's been on New Japan before. Yeah. What what tour was that that he was? I was just trying to remember. I don't remember. It feels like it was at the end of the year last year. It does. Yeah. Uh, was it Ish. Destruction Tour? Maybe. Ish. Yeah. My answer is gonna be. Ish. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't remember. I yeah, remember. I mean, we heard him in New Japan before. I think he's a very good commentator. But I will say, I do feel like there were some times where um, him and Kevin Kelly were kind of like not 100% in sync and kind of maybe talking over each other a little bit sometimes or kind of like jumping on each other, stepping on each other a little bit. It seemed like that's the way it was last time as well, right? Um, I, I don't 100% remember. Yeah, that was kind of the... Um some of the like criticism about them was just that like 
you know that Kevin Kelly is a play-by-play guy, right? Or color. I always get the two mixed up. Um, I think he's the, the play-by-play. Play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so is Excalibur. And so, like, they both kind of have the same role. Mm-hmm. And so the chemistry is sometimes off with both guys trying to do play-by-play. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. kind of jumping on each other. So it's not the first time we've heard that uh, that criticism. But I, I liked, you know, I liked it. I liked uh, having Excalibur. And I'm, you know, other than the fact that he wears a mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely uh, better than uh, Lanny Poffo, so. Mm, that's arguable. I, I like I like having Lenny Poffo on the show just for like nah. the chaos of it. <laughs> nah, I don't know, man. Uh, but then um, next matchup, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we had uh, Michael Elgin, Kokobana, and Tor Hanare taking on uh, Shota Umino, Satoshi Kojima, and Hiroshi Tenzon. Uh, Elgin, Kabana, and Hanare pick up the win here. Uh, Elgin kills. Uh, Umino with the Buckle Bomb Elgin Bomb combo. Hey, I do want to say this. This match, a lot of the guys didn't really, y- y- you know, there wasn't. It was it was fine, but I, I think that once we got the stuff with Elgin and Umino, this match actually hit a different level, and I was really really impressed. Uh, there was a point where I thought Umino picked up the win against uh, Elgin. Obviously, they didn't do that, and I just I just said to myself, like, dude, one of these times. They've got to give us a young lion beating an established superstar. Yeah, get him with a quick, you know, inside cradle or a llama to straight all. It's just because, and I'm saying that because I know it's it hasn't been something that they do often, if at all, in recent years. But there was a time in this company, you go back 17, 18 years, you go back, you know, to the dark era or you go back to the 90s. There were times where young lions would roll up a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> And get that win. Um, and I, I, like, we were sitting there and we were watching that together. And I was like, bro, what if Umino had just rolled up Elgin? And, Dude, that would like, all of a sudden you got that whole one, two, three kid, Razor Ramon right. sort of thing going on. And then you, you set up the one on one rematch. And then, of course, Elgin gets the win back and, like, wrecks yeah. him. Yeah. And so, and then maybe, and then maybe you send him off on an excursion. But there'd always be that moment. Like, remember that time? At the New Japan Cup Finals, that Umino rolled up Michael Elgin like yeah. that was freaking nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, so just you know, Gato, I know you're out there. Just you know, consider it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we had uh, Suzuki Goon of Minoru Suzuki, Lance Archer, and Dave Boy Smith Jr. taking on Hanma and two thirds of the Never Openweight Six Man um, Champions Toru Yano and Togi Makabe. What would you call this team? Because it's you have a, a mashup of great bash heel and the most uh, violent players. Um, great violent players? Uh, probably. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> um, so um, K- KES and Suzuki get the win here. They hit the killer bomb on Hunma. And this is the second win. I believe it was the second or third win for um, this trio of Suzuki, Archer, and Smith over a team that had two thirds of the never open weight six man champions on it. So I feel like they're setting up Suzuki, Archer, and Smith challenging uh, Taguchi, Yano, and Makabe for these six man titles. Bro, if Suzuki, Archer, and Smith win those belts, they will never lose. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they will never lose those belts. That, uh, that, that'll be Dunsky forever. And then there was also another thing happening with Archer on this show and other multi-man matches. And we've got a question about it from uh, faithful Reddit user Maharati. 
he says, um, there was this thing with Rocky and Archer where Archer kept asking Rocky to stop dodging him and fight him in a cage. Is this a real storyline that somehow I missed? Bro, I was so confused about that too. Well, like the last few nights, every time Archer was out, he would get in Rocky's face and he was like, Rocky, me and you in a cage. Everybody dies. And for whatever reason, just, you know, he, he wants Rocky Romero in a, a cage match. There was no build up to this, no storyline. This literally just started happening at the end of this tour. Bro, you know that the cage match is like my favorite gimmick of all time. <laughs> So you want to see this? <laughs> <laughs> oh my Not necessarily, God. but I mean, I'm down. Whatever. Oh, man. So uh, if they did like a road to show. It's the same thing I say. Every time I'm out and there's some questionable, there's some, uh, you know, some questionable-ish going on, you know, some reckless shit. I'm like, fuck it. I'm down. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, Maserati, I, I don't know what they're doing with um, Rocky and Archer here. Bro, uh, it's it, it's like they're, it's not real. Like. Right, again, it's one of those things where like guys like get on the mic and they just start saying stuff. Like, you know, I don't know, some people might see this as a positive, some people might see it as a negative. I'm kind of indifferent on it. Sometimes you don't when you don't have a story, you don't have anything going and you're in New Japan, you've got the creative freedom to do whatever you want. Sometimes people just say foolishness, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like they just get on the mic and say whatever and like I think that this is just a really big rib. I think it's yeah. just Archer just ribbing. I think it's Archer entertaining himself yeah, at, like, the, at the end of this long tour. They're not going to let this man spit on people. He's got to do something. He, he wants to follow up that banger he had with Osprey, so he wants you know, a, a big cage matching. It's another small guy, you know. I got an idea. Uh, Archer running through the junior division. <laughs> like Kevin like Nash Kevin in Nash X Division? <laughs> <laughs> it all starts with Rocket in the, the steel uh, cage. the Lance Archer uh, junior heavyweight open invitational. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which then leads to him managing a junior tag team. Yeah. He, be he, he becomes a new manager for Rapungi 3K. Yeah, Gato, where, are, you, are you taking down notes, bro? Like, write this shit down. Like, it's, oh, my it's gosh. good stuff. But, uh, Dude, I low-key liked Kevin Nash. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? You low-key? Everyone liked Kevin Nash. No, I, I liked him doing the, the X Division. The X Division stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, bro, every human alive that ever watched uh, wrestling. Of course. Of course had, everybody loved Big Sexy. Like, on some, like, I don't know of any pro wrestling fan that didn't at some point like Kevin Nash. You might not have. I, and I also don't know any wrestling fan ever that has always liked Kevin Nash. There's no in between. There's nobody that has always hated him. Or always loved him because that's impossible. <laughs> because there's so much crap in his career that's so good, and so much crap that is so abysmal and awful. You could never fully love him or fully hate him. You you just have brief periods of liking him. Yeah. And everybody has a period, whether it's the Diesel period, whether it's the Outsiders period, whether it's him doing crazy crap in like TNA just to like you know appease himself and like scott hall's all coked out and shit. Like, you know whatever it is like there's some point where you liked you liked kevin nash i don't care who you are you're listening mm -hmm. you might be like the most like you know pro centric you like you, you 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 still watch uwfi and battle arts and all this crap 
You liked Big Daddy. You cool. liked Big Daddy Cool Diesel. At some point, you liked him. When that bah, bah <laughs> came on, you know you popped. Um, Something this man did in his career you, it popped you. Yeah. Um, moving on to the next matchup, we had eight man tag action here with Lij, Shingo, Bushi, Evil, and Naito taking on Ren Narita, Kota Ibushi, Tomohiro Ishii, and Risuke Taguchi. What a team! Do it. All multi-man LIJ matches are very good, awesome to watch. I thought um, this was good. Yeah, this was very good. And, of course, you know, Shingo's is always in there just killing people. Um, he uh, killed um, Narita here with the pump and bomber. Um, got the win here. Uh, but this match was also uh, continuing the, the setup between Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito. Um, Ibushi... Um, he left uh, Naito laying on the mat here at the end of this. Um, was pointing to the IC titles. He's saying um, that, that the translation, he said, when are we going to do the match? When we're doing the match? And then um, we had Evil and Ni- uh, excuse me, Evil and Ishii um, kind of getting in each other's face um, after the match. It was a big pull apart for this. This here, Here's the thing. You got a guy that's not doing so hot. Maybe, you know, crowds are down on him. Maybe he didn't have a good showing in his last match. Whatever it may be. There's one easy fix remedy in New Japan. You put him in there with Ishii. Yes. He will have a classic. He will His, his credibility will be restored. Like, Ishii is, like, the greatest favor to every single wrestler, like, on the roster today. Like, Ishii is, like, a miracle worker. Yeah. And dude, also, I've got to mention, with Shingo and these multi-man matches, sign me up for Shingo vs. Goto, sign me up for Shingo vs. Ishii, sign me up for Shingo in the freaking G1 this year. Yeah, I want Shingo and Taguchi, so I'm in a different boat. Sign me up for Shingo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah. Uh, Shingo and Ishii, junior match of the year. Um, let's do it. <laughs> Oh, baby. You, you, want, you want to sell out that sumo hall, right? Put Ishii in the best of the super. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Bro, listen. So, again, this this episode this episode should be called, like, Gato. Are you listening? Gato, you want to sell out that, that freaking... Uh, best of Super Junior best Final. Super Junior Finals. Put Ishii in. Y'all want to win? Put Ishii in. Dude, can you imagine Ishii and Shingo as the best of the Super Junior Finals? Absolutely. Like, how epic... Awesome, that would be that would be incredible. <laughs> that probably like win match of the year, like yeah. or at least be a very close contender. Bro. Yeah, probably strong style um, final of the year candidate. Someone's gonna die. <laughs> Everybody's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next up, we had um, the team of Will Osprey and uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on Dangerous Techers of Zack Saber Jr. and Taichi. Yeah, uh, the standout tag team of the New Japan Cup this past year. We haven't. You mean the uh, World Tag League? Or I'm sorry, yes, God, uh, the World Tag League this past December and January. Um, they make their their illustrious re- you know return, taking on Osprey and Tanahashi. Actually, these are like two Osprey and Tanahashi have had some great matches too. So I mean, like, yeah, this is kind of like a low key banger right here. Yeah, and then um, Saber and Taichi got the win here. With um, Taichi, he uses the ref to counter the Stormbreaker. Hits a low blow, followed up with the Gato Clutch, gets a pin on Osprey. So this is potentially setting up a future Never Openweight title match for Taichi. Not sure who the champion will be by the time he gets the title match. 
And then also setting up a British um, heavyweight title match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Tanahashi. Since Tanahashi pinned Sabre in the one-on-one New Japan Cup match that we reviewed earlier. So then up next we had a another multi-man match here with the Bullet Club featuring Hikaleo, Bad Luck Fale, and the IWGP champion Switchblade Jay White. Taking on Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi, and Mad Mikey Nichols. Um, this was a fine multi-man match here. Jay White gets the win. Um, once again, countering a finisher. He counters the GTR into the Blade Runner. Pins Goto. And Bullet Club looks dominant. Jay White looks dominant going into Madison Square Garden. Someone's telling me their, their blood sport. Live, breaking, <coughs> on the air, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There's a blood sport ticket. It's being sold to me right now. Dude. Can nah. we take a break? Because I, I, I've totally been taken out of this podcast right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll take a... We'll return to action in two seconds. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back um, after a little brief intermission here. Listen, guys, I'm sorry. This, this is professional podcasting right here. Like, you... I just had to have Jeremy literally play back to me the last two segments of the show that we went through going over the uh, Sabre Taichi, Will Ospreay, and Tanahashi match as well as the uh, the um, Bullet Club versus Sekigun match be- or Chaos, sorry. Because as soon as I got a message, it was like, hey, I've got a, like, hey, I've got a Bloodsport ticket. Like my whole entire <laughs> – everything like – I was like uh, – Uma Thurman and Kill Bill, like, like I completely zoned out, like I couldn't believe it. Oh, he just emailed me the ticket, bro. Bro, like I have been despondent for days. You guys don't understand. Like they keep announcing matches, and I keep getting more and more pissed. I'm like, Killer Cross is fighting Davy Boy Smith. Like, what? Suzuki and Josh Barnett, bro. I've been. Shout out to Anthony Negron. He just hit me up in the middle of the night. This is my my new forget Taichi. This is my savior now, Anthony Negron, because he came through in my eleventh hour, my darkest hour, and my time of need. And he hit me up with that paybal. He hit me up with the hookup. Shout out to Anthony. I'm gonna have to do something cool for Anthony, even though I I just paid him for this ticket. But uh, <laughs> yeah, man, like. I have been despondent. I am so, so happy. You guys don't even know. Oh my God. Now, Jeremy, we got to get you a ticket, bro. Yeah, go, go. I don't want to go to Jersey alone. <laughs> I hate Jersey. I lived there for, I lived there. I hated it. Like, I don't want to, and, it, and it's North Jersey, which is fine. Like, hey guys, if you're listening, you're from Jersey, you get it. <laughs> Actually, I lived on the, the Jersey Shore. I lived in AC, which I didn't love. I also lived like, Cherry Hill, which is like right outside Philly. I didn't love that. I didn't really love Jersey, but like that metro area up there, it's tough. And that's that's like where it's at. So I don't want to go alone. I'll definitely get lost. And yeah, we gotta get you a ticket, bro. Yes, we'll we'll be on the lookout for that. Um, But let's get the one thing I wanted to touch on before we moved on. So, what are your thoughts on them setting up Taichi and Osprey again? Um, when Will kind of already moved on past this guy and sort of, you know, he defeated him to get his shot at the Never title. Uh, Taichi already had a run with his belt last year, and it, I'm a little surprised, even though he's had some good showings lately, like that they're going to, it seems like they're going back to a title program with these two guys again. 
I guess they're probably setting it up for that, what, Sengoku Lord? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh, April 20th, I think that's happening. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I, I was, like I was mentioning earlier, I mean, we don't know who the champion's going to be. So, right now, it looks oh. like they're setting up Tai Chi and Osprey. But, um, wouldn't that wouldn't that incline you to think that that means Will Osprey is going to retain? It could make you or Jeff Cobb beats Will Osprey and you do, you do Jeff Cobb versus Tai Chi. They're going to do more of that. Bull- Listen, I'm not a fan of that. Like, I think if you set up a program, then just do the program. Like, don't do the whole bait and I don't like bait and switch. Yeah. When it, you know, or like last year when remember when last year they're doing the whole thing with Goto, Taichi, and. Uh, and Elgin, and then we ended up getting a triple threat, and I was like, mm, yeah. don't, "Don't give us the base. Just, <laughs> just do what you're gonna do." Yeah. So I think that's one of the pro. That is something I didn't even think of. That that's a good point. So yeah, I know a lot of people don't necessarily want to see the Taichi Osprey match. I've seen a lot of people online kind of like being like, "Oh, we're going back to this again." Um, I don't know. I just want to get your thoughts on it, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it'll be. I, I like the first match. I think they can have another good match together. Um, if it is going to be Osprey and Tai Chi, I guess you know with it being a rematch, I, I'm kind of scared that they would have Tai Chi go over this time, and I, I don't think that should happen. And you know maybe they they might want to get the Never Belt off of Osprey going into Best of the Super Juniors. Do you think that this would be bad booking? Um, Osprey beats Jeff Cobb for the um, for the TV title. And then turns around and drops it to him at the TV taping like the next day. Or whenever their TV taping is, you know, following that. Is that something that you'd be like, eh, on? And then they kind of just split the belts up right away? Yeah, I would be... Uh, it sounds like that's something they would they could hypothetically right. do. Right, and I, I don't think they're doing tape, tapings the next day because, I mean, there's so much stuff going on. I'm just so used yeah. to them doing that. Yeah, that's what they, that's what they normally do. Um, but I feel like if I were them, I would do Osprey... And Cobb rematch on a, paper, a Ring of Honor pay per view. Okay. To get and just 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 be for the TV title. Well, interesting direction there. Also, obviously, kind of, uh, you know, in this match, kind of teasing the stuff with Tanahashi and Zack Saber, which we'll talk about later. But you know, we just talked about their match at New Japan Cup, and it seems like they're not totally done with that just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then continuing on to the Bullet Club and Chaos match. Uh, you had mentioned that Jay White defeated Goto, which is really interesting because a lot of times in these matches where it's you know six man you know tags, usually the weakest guy on the team is the one that takes the fall. Right, and they had a a, a very similar match to this the previous night where Hikaleo took the fall to Mad Mikey Nichols, and pretty much every multi man match that featured Hikaleo and Mad Mikey Nichols, Nichols was pinning Hikaleo with the uh, the Blue Thunder Bomb. So that's what I thought was going to happen here again. But um, are they calling it the Blue Thunder Bomb, or are they still calling it the Mikey Bomb? Uh, they're calling it the Mikey Bomb. I'm calling it Blue Thunder Bomb because <laughs> Mikey Nichols freaking sucks, <laughs> dude. We we Rich and I we went out to the NXT house show um, past Friday night, and you know his former partner Shane Thorne was in action. Um, I forgot who 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 he was even wrestling now. Oh, he's wrestling a uh, Jeet, this uh, Indian guy Jeet. Uh, but dude, why does he got to be Indian? Because he was Indian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Shane, that Shane Thorne uh, Largo Loop match was so much better than freaking anything I've seen here of Mikey Nichols. You know what I thought you were about to say? Shane Thorne Largo Loop master. 
like dude, how, I like, was like, the, like how you guys are always being like uh, Arya Davari, uh, two hundred five legend, legend. Dude, I'm like, can we trade you for nickels? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, please come to New Japan. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's rude, bro. <laughs> he ain't doing nothing in NXT anyway. Come on over, <laughs> come get some of this um, Harold May money. I, I really wouldn't mind having. Uh, TMDK back in New Japan just in general as a team. Now nah, bump that. Get Mikey Nichols out of there and replace him with Shane Thorne. Let's, wow. get, let's get this Shane Thorne singles run going. Uh, you got enough Gaijin. <laughs> 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 no, I'm kidding. Actually, as a tag team, they're good as a team. I like um, TMDK. Um, so yeah, that would be that's what I would do ASAP if I were them. But yeah, I don't know what their plans are for Shane Thorne. But anyway, anything else on this Bullet Club Chaos match? Uh, Jay White beat Goto. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing I can think of, and this is news for everybody, I just want to make this official announcement on the air. I know Rich is going to be like, oh my God. I definitely spent money this past Friday to purchase my first ever Jay White t shirt. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm hoping it comes, it comes in time for WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I don't think it's going to. I don't know. You are from pro wrestling tees. Yeah, uh, it might be tight. It might be. It it might. When did you order it? Friday. It it might. If you're lucky, it'll be here Tuesday. Oh next, man! Next Tuesday. I ordered that and a keeping a strong style shirt. I saw that the sale. I saw <laughs> I saw the sale come through on the email. <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, that would be hilarious. Uh, Gosh. Yo, it's like here's the thing. I I pretty much literally am only buying it for the fact that I want to wear it uh to the Madison Square Garden show. <laughs> to troll? Not to troll. To support. Okay. A bullet club for life. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh my God. But uh <laughs> But also, oh yeah, my ticket, I didn't get scammed. Thank you, Anthony Negron. I'm good to go. I got my ticket for Josh Barnett's Blood Sport. But, um, nah, it's, bro, it's the most raw. Like, literally, I've wanted this shirt since I seen it. And, um, yeah, like, here, I'll show it to you. Freaking A. Compelling radio, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, okay, so <laughs> it's it's the Switchblade J. White shirt that, I don't have it here in front of me. I couldn't pull it mm-hmm. up in time. Uh, where... It says uh, Switchblade, but it looks like the Stranger Things logo. Oh, yes, yes. I have seen that shirt. Bro, that shirt's raw. That, that is that is a raw shirt. <laughs> like, I've wanted that shirt since I've seen it, so I finally got it. I'm happy. Hopefully, it comes in time for WrestleMania weekend, and uh, yeah, so I can support the Bullet Club. <laughs> the Biz Cliz. You going to go to the Bullet Club block party? Guys, don't go to the Bullet Club block party. Come to <laughs> Suplex Mania. <laughs> <laughs> um so let's get back on track here. So the U.S. title I match. I know this episode. Once, once, once Josh Barnett like got brought. You know, Josh Barnett's always messing things up when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> yeah, uh, making this show you know be four point seven five instead of five, bringing down the average. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> uh, so semifinal of this night, U.S. title match: uh, the champion Juice Robinson against the Crown Jewel Chase Owens. I've seen a lot of uh, negative reactions to this match, young boy. What was your thoughts on this one? Um, I liked it. <laughs> that's my feeling. I liked it. And um, I feel like that's a pretty 
I don't know. You know what's funny is like there was a lot of people online saying they didn't like it, but almost every review that I've seen and almost every uh, like review that I've seen have been people saying the same thing as me and as you that they enjoyed the match. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of fans of the product who are outspoken online saying how much they hated this match. Is that kind of your feeling too? I'm seeing a lot of hate from fans and reviewers. Really? Yeah. Maybe I've, and like I said, I'm not always as connected to the online activity as you, but like I've, I have seen some positive things, and I I was pretty positive on it. Like, dude, I really like this match. I really enjoyed this match. Um, yeah, I did too. I know a lot of people did not like the shenanigans or the you know the western style of they want they want to you know pin it as, um, but I thought it added to the match. Uh, I thought Juice Robinson looked great here, overcoming the odds, um, taking out um, Fale, Jado, and eventually Chase Owens to retain the title here. You know, so much times um, they make Juice kind of come off as a geek, and I thought he looked like a star here. Um, you know, coming from behind, babyface, I thought he looked great here. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that the build was really good. Chase Owens playing this Southern style, like cocky heel, cheating, like in in all the multi men matches leading up to this. I thought that that stuff has been great and kind of just. You know, they, they told us like a classic North American wrestling story of like Chase Owens getting the better of him and frustrating this guy until their title match where, you know, Juice had something to prove and he was fired up and he was ready to like, you know, kill Chase Owens, get his comeuppance, if you will. Um, that being said, I do see, I do understand some of the um, criticisms, you know, uh, people didn't like all the... Uh, interference they didn't like some of the plotting uh, pacing in the beginning like I thought that they got off to a really hot start yeah dude Juice comes out throws off the coat the hat drops the US title he's all business beeline to the ring running it right from the jump yep. you know hot start you know like a, like a blood feud should be these guys going you know straight you know strikes to each other then Chase Owens you know slows it down works the ribs over really grinds the ribs work, yeah. works the ribs over then you have Juice coming back. He works the back over of Chase Owens, which you know played onto later part of the match where Chase goes for the package pile driver, but he couldn't He's deliver it because, because his back goes out. Yeah, I I thought that there was a lot of what I would call intelligent um, storytelling. Like it was a very, very smart, very like intricate laid out match. I don't know. It, it reminded me of like so. Man, it reminded me of a lot of stuff. It reminded me of like Memphis and like you yeah. Know, I mean, this was a territory match. It was a tor- Yeah, it was totally a territory match. Remind me of like like I was saying like I could totally see like Macho Man Randy Savage having this type of match in the mid '80s with like you know Jerry Lawler, or I could see this being on NWA, you know WCW Worldwide Television in the late '80s. Like that's what this came off to me as. Um, it's no surprise with you know Chase Owens and his you know you know, connection to the, you know, Midwest Indies and being trained by Ricky Morton and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but I also do understand that there are people, they didn't, there are people who didn't like all the interference. There are people who didn't like the pacing of the match. They didn't like the style of the match. Uh, there was the fair criticism that the fans were not into this or as invested into it in the beginning, which is a fair assessment because I think that was true. Right. Um, but I felt like they, by the end of it, got the crowd invested and yeah, brought them honestly, back. I felt the Bullet Club interference actually helped draw the crowd in. 
Yeah, and the, I mean the crowd is they they hate Bullet Club, and they don't want to see Bullet Club getting over on their baby faces. Another thing to consider too is that this match had a big task in front of it, and that it was going on just before the main event, and so. You know, if they had come out there and tried to do like a classic, you know, you know, even one of Juice's classic matches, you know, and and do what we'd seen from Juice so many times before, mm-hmm. they probably could have done something like that. But then it it's going to wind up getting overshadowed and forgotten in the light of what's evident, you know, ultimately going to be an ulti- you know, a great match between Sonata and, and Okada. With this, they did an entirely different style match that I think is actually pretty memorable because it's so different from anything that we normally dude, see. Yeah, in this New match Japan is very memorable for me. And dude, like I remember all the key spots, and I, I'm dude, I really enjoy this match. Yeah, I, I I liked it a lot. I feel like here's the thing: you do this match in almost any other setting. I'm not saying it's gonna be like way over or whatever, but I feel like people are gonna be a lot more forgiving to the to what type of match it was. Mm-hmm. I feel like the fact that it was taking place in Japan, you know, that's a, it has a, a diff, I feel like, I don't know how, I'm not saying it properly. I feel like the fan base has an expectation that every single match that occurs in New Japan Pro Wrestling has to be this pro-rific, Straight strong up, style, yeah. like, you know, uh, G1-centric sort of type of match. And it's like, there's a wide gamut, a wide spectrum of wrestling that exists out there, different styles. I, this is very indicative of the Southern style wrestling scene, right? From the especially from the '80s, like you said, territory match. And I I liked it, and I, I think there is room on the card for a match like this. There's room on the card for guys like Yano, Taguchi, Colt Cabana. You could have some different outside of your strong style, you know epic match i agree you know i don't want the entire promotion to to right. move towards this i'm not saying you know all 10 matches on the card right this i'm not saying this should be the main event with this you know but i do think that people should be a little bit bo- a little bit more open-minded and i know sometimes we're not the most open-minded you know we try to be we try to correct ourselves and catch ourselves but uh i i didn't know if you'd like this i kind of thought you wouldn't be honest with you but like to me it reminded me of all the 80s crap that i've watched over the years and like i liked it i'm I'm glad that you like it yeah, too. Dude. Like, I, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that I thought that um, I thought that Juice came off looking really good. By yeah, the end dude, of this it. is one of the best like Juice's come off looking post match. Like he he truly looked like a star here. I do think that like part of the reason that people didn't care is because this U.S. title basically means almost next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is interesting that this match. I. And we'll talk about it later, but I think it's interesting that they chose for the U.S. title to be on this show and not necessarily the Madison Square Garden show in any capacity, mm-hmm. which kind of is crazy because it's like, why did they even introduce a U.S. title when they're not even going to have it on the biggest U.S. show they ever had, but that's not here nor there. Um, yeah, I think people don't care about the U.S. title just because of the way it's been booked, but hopefully this is a step in the right direction to rectifying that. Yeah, I thought this match was good. I feel like... Um, you know, people that are like super down on it. Maybe it's not your for you know. Maybe it's not your taste, but um, I think people are over, like dumping on it like way harder. Um, take us through the end here. You know, basically how it all went down. Um, so the end comes out. So um, you know, Chase Owens. He's looking for the package pile driver, but his back gives out. Um, he tries for it again. Juice escapes. Hits the left hand of God. 
Um, hits a powerbomb for two, but Giotto pulls the referee out of the ring. Vale uh, comes out, hits a big spear on Juice. Uh, Chase gets the U.S. title, and he tries to hit uh, Juice with it, but ends up hitting Fale. Then Juice um, hits a big clothesline that dumps Fale out the ring. Then he takes out Giotto, and then he hits the Pulp Friction on Chase and retains the belt. Yep, that's what happened. Um, So then post-match, Fale attacks um, Juice, but then uh, Nichols came out and makes a save, and it looks like we're we're getting a uh, a new Bullet Club Hunter in 2019. Yeah. Um, well, the other ones are all taken up. You know, Billy Guns. You know, got a, got a gig with uh, the Con Money and um, Yoshitatsu. Yoshitatsu. He's busy over in uh, all Japan, so they had to kind of replace him with uh, your favorite wrestler. Yeah. Jeez, I I don't want to see a Nichols Fale one on one match. Do you think that's what where they're going with this? I don't. Know. Maybe since he attacked Juice, maybe they're going to end up doing Juice Fale, which is not something I'm looking forward to either. But I kind of thought that they might be moving towards like Juice and um, Mikey Nichols tagging together. Uh, Nichols kind of replacing Finley for the year. Yeah, that's what it. I don't know. That's what my initial thought was. Yeah, I mean, I guess. You know, and kind of giving help. Maybe that would help get Nichols over. And Juice kind of, kind Juice has kind of been that guy who like brings the Westerners over and lets them tag with him. And you know, he kind of uh, adopts all these like uh, orphan Gaijin wrestlers. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know. That's something that I I just that's what it seemed like to me, anyways. Uh, question here from Reddit user Asahi Yojimbo. He says, "I feel like Juice first chase was overbooked between Fale showing up." and the usual candlestick shenanigans, which causes me to wonder how New Japan officials continue to allow Master Heater slash Giotto to remain ringside during any match. I get run-ins being an unpredictable event, but Giotto is always there from the start. This happens so often that the oblivious ref concept took me out of the match this time. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something we talk about pretty regularly, just the fact that, um, you know, there's not consistency with the referees and if there is it's you know incompetency which kind of sucks sometimes yeah kind of it can take you it can help you not help you but it can cause you to break your suspension of disbelief sometimes because of like the the level of incompetency is like kind of cartoonish to some degree yeah and especially with the kindle stick you hear that loud crack it's like yes i know some dudes chop loud but i mean that's you can definitely tell the sound of a kendo stick yeah, um, but I mean, aside from that, I mean, I don't know. It, you would kind of for, for for it to be like the New Japan officials continue to allow Jado to come down. It's like, well, who are the New Japan officials? You know, who is this mysterious IWG? I W G P. Yeah, who who is they? Harold May. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, he's worried about visas. He needs to be worried about these manager licenses. <laughs> Make sure that everything's on the up and up out there. Yeah, so, I don't know, man. Um, I don't yeah. even know what to say to that. That's hilarious. <laughs> That's what's it, yeah. Uh, there was a question we missed about Naito from Reddit user Jai Brian. He says, I know, or excuse me, not Jai Brian, uh, Maserati. He says, with the announcers uh, bringing up how the IC belt is, uh, t- how how important the IC belt is to Ibushi, 
do we think we're finally going to get the belt off of Naito? With a follow-up question, if they do free up Naito to get back into the World Heavyweight title, do you think he will beat Okada with it later? Will this be his last chance? Yes, so that's a great question. Um, I... I don't want to give away my official prediction, but I am leaning personally towards Abushi winning the IC title. Although, why is it always got to be against Naito, bro? Dude, why is everybody got to get their moment against Naito and screw this man up? Like, it is starting to get like egregious now. Like, yeah, um, dude, because like- we're going to we're going to the Madison Square Garden, bro. You know what? I might just like. And, you know, you know, I'm not gonna get my official prediction because we're gonna do our, our prediction show next week. But I will say I am leaning towards Naito. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it. I am Base, too. Just continue the base. Every backstage promo, he keeps talking about how he wants. He still wants to be um, the guy that holds the IC and IWGP title. He said he he has a reason to hold on to the IC title because he, his goal this year is to hold both belts. Well, a couple things. It's like man. You got two guys that are at crossroads, and you know, with Ibushi just like resigning, like he's kind of gotten beaten like two big matches this year already. You know, one mm-hmm. against Osprey, one one against uh, Saber. Now, it's like, what did he resign for? <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna go to the Garden and get beat by Naito, you know? But he already beat Naito in the New Japan Cup, which would kind of lead you to believe, like. Of the two guys, I think Naito needs the win more than Ibushi, but everyone's always calling for Naito to come off that belt, you know? Yeah. Free him up, and now I'm, now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to see Naito lose in the garden. Like, just a lot of big losses that, you know, short amount of time. Like, dang. So I don't know, man, but uh, yeah. I, I am still leaning, though, towards Naito and Okada being one of the main events next year at the Dome. That's kind of something I'm still banking on. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even King of Pro Wrestling. I don't know. But, like, yeah, that's something I see possibly. So now this brings us to the main event. We had Shibata arriving to join on commentary. Big pop from the crowd. Uh, seeing the uh, former New Japan Cup winner himself uh, arrive to commentary to call this match on a Japanese uh, commentary team. Yeah, I I loved that. Um that kind of really just like raised the stakes for me when that when like Shibata came out and I was like oh man like this is for real it's happening yeah. Um, so yeah so New Japan Cup finals Kazuchika Okada versus Sonata and dude I, I thought this was a great match a great way to end this New Japan Cup uh, you know we we had a lot of hits and misses in this tournament a lot of high points uh you know some some kind of meandering low points but i mean you really can't complain with how great the two semifinals and then this final was you know like we got three really great matches all you know wrapped up in a nice little bow and okada sonata was one of the best matches of the entire tournament um yeah i mean okada at this point going into the match 4-0 against sonata but the you know they're in Sonata's hometown, so the crowd is popping. Dude, they they are red hot. Yeah, like they're huge. firmly behind um, Sonata here. Uh, and again, Okada kind of plays up to that kind of Tanahashi role sometimes, where 
he understands when he's kind of um, the heel, quote unquote, of the match, and will be a little bit more aggressive and kind of help the the baby face of the match get over. They got a lot of time to work here. Over 30 minutes, these guys had one of, if not, I, I could be wrong, but I think it was the longest match of the entire tournament. Yeah. A fitting final. And, dude, this match was awesome. Yeah, dude. So many great um, counters and maneuvers. Uh, Sonata busting out a Tiger suplex at one point of the match. Um, doing the, you know, the the great Muda setup with a backbreaker for the moonsault. Uh, dude, the skull the skull ends looked good again in this match. The thing is, um, you know, they had a lot of time to work, so they they worked what I would call like the classic Okada match. I yeah. mean, this was an Okada match through and through, and you know, true to its form. I mean, there were so many things that were just like right to the T what you would see in a in again in an Okada match, but those last like eight to nine minutes. Where we get these, and Okada's the best in the world at this, and Sonata is right there with him toe and toe. It's those those final segments where they build to the heated finale and start doing the false finishes, and then they go into those crazy counter sequences that just seem to never end and go on and on and on. And the way they did all that working between the skull and into the the Rainmaker and back and forth in the counters. Like, it was popping me so hard, bro. Like, and everything leading up to that point. Like, this match was really excellent. Yeah, and dude, I, I love the closing stretch of this match. And I'm going to do a little quick play-by-play of it here. So, you know, towards the end, so Sonata gets uh, the skull in. He swings Okada around. Um, Okada starts to fade, um, but he manages to pop out. But Sonata gets him back in. Um, instead of... Going for the submission, he goes to the top for the Muda Moonsault, but he misses. Uh, Okada pulls himself up. Um, Sonata follows, but then Okada just drills him with that John Woo drop kick. Uh, then Sonata pops up and hits the TKO for a great near fall. I mean, like 2.9. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and then um, Okada, um, you know, Sonata gets up and he look. He's heading towards the quarter, the corner for the moon, Moonsault. But Okada grabs his leg, um, but then Sonata just starts stomping away at him, and Okada just keeps reaching and trying to grab um, Sonata's leg. Um, Storytelling. Yes. Uh, Sonata then, um, instead of hitting the regular moonsault, he does the almost the AJ Styles gimmick, where it's a moonsault into like a reverse ET, but he locks in the skull in. Uh, but then Okada counters that into the tombstone, and dude, he drilled him with the tombstone once again here. Um, then Sonata fights off the Rainmaker, uh, but Okada hits the rolling Rainmaker and then the traditional Rainmaker to get the win here. 33 minutes, five seconds, a great, great match. You know, the match did start kind of slow, uh, and then they, you know, just built throughout, and Sonata began to overcome and, you know, beat Okada, you know, kind of like. I don't know. It had like that Hogan WrestleMania 18 sort of deal going for it, like where the where like the crowd was just like raising him up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like this is his fifth match with Okada. Okada's beaten him again, but this is the closest I think he's ever felt like to actually beating him. And even though it was kind of a foregone conclusion, we kind of knew Okada was going to get the win here, given you know the implications of Madison Square Garden, given the history between him and Jay White, and him being a perfect foil. Even still, they 
did a great job of booking a compelling main event to raise Sonata's stock in his hometown, create that seed of doubt. Even if you knew he wasn't going to actually like lose, the crowd didn't seem to know that on that right. particular night. Yeah, dude, they were yeah, t- totally invested in Sonata. They wanted to see the hometown hero you know, win and go into the garden. And like we both said, those last 10 minutes of the match, you know, are just a cherry on top of a, a great 20-minute match. So um, excellent pro wrestling. Um, you know, I think there were people out there that thought Sonata was going to get the win. But, you know, obviously Okada winning is the thing that made the most sense here. And, uh, I w- again, I will say, <laughs> personally, and I might, I think I'm in the minority here. I was really, really, I don't know if you remember last year, I was really high on the match they had uh, at the uh, new beginning. beginning in February. Yeah, I did like that match better than this match. I am seeing people say that this is Sonata's best match of all time. I think that that's not true. I think he had some really good matches in the G1 last year. Uh, I also think that his match with Tanahashi in the G1 a few years back, plus the one he had with Sonata or with uh, Okada last year, you know, or I, I think it's a little, I don't know. People are acting like he's never done a four and a half star match before. And I think he has. So I'm not like sitting here saying this is his greatest match, but from like a stature standpoint within the company, this did feel like more like he was made more in this match than any other time that I can recall with him in the company. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I thought I, I liked the match a lot. I don't remember the, the match last year. The, la- the match last year. Um, so I can't really give a, a fair comparison, but I mean, I rated this match four and a half, and I thought it was an excellent main event. And Okada is your new Japan Cup winner in 2019. Um, a lot of people predicted this, and it proved to be the, you know, if you predicted it, you're right on the money. I think most people, you know, whether we knew how we were going to get there or not, um, it was a bumpy ride, you know, crazy ride, a roller coaster. But, you know, um, Okada wins. I think it was pretty emotional, and it was pretty awesome to see him get choked up in the back talking about uh, um, Shibata. And Shibata being at ringside, like calling the and match. How much this meant to him, yeah, yeah. Um, but then we also got the stuff at the end of the show between him and uh, Jay White. Yeah, the back and forth um, promo. Uh, you know, Jay White talking about how he's going to beat him in the garden. Okada's like, I don't understand what you said. <laughs> yeah, that, bro, that popped the crowd. <laughs> like, the crowd loved that. Um, and, you know, Okada saying, you know, he has to do this for New Japan. Um, he has to, you know, beat... Um, Jay White in the garden so yeah man and then you know they they um, confetti falls Okada celebrates with that awesome trophy and them shorts yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so we got a few questions here first from reddit user Jai Brian he says I know you both are picking Okada to beat White at MSG does knowing that for the past two years the runner-up in the New Japan Cup Got an IWGP heavyweight title shot at the Don Taku. Change your mind. Seeing it how we just got Okada versus Sonata and a title offense against Sonata would lead perfectly into White versus Naito for Dominion. I'm confused about this question a little bit. I'm just thinking. So he's saying so in previous years the 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 runner up whoever comes in second in the New Japan Cup 
gets an IWGP title shot at Dontaku. So that would mean that Sonata would get a title shot at Dontaku later in April. And so would it make more sense to do Okada or Sonata versus Jay White? Have Jay White beat Okada at MSG? And then you do Sonata versus Jay White. I guess what I'm confused about is says, seeing as how we just got Okada versus Sonata and a title defense against Sonata would lead perfectly into White versus Naito for Dominion. So what he's saying is Jay White would beat Sonata. In a title defense at he, Dantaku and then... And then you and then you do Jay White versus Naito at Dominion. At Dominion. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could do that. And, you know, we're not, we're not giving the official, you know, our official... Oh, I'm, I'm giving it. Okada's winning. <laughs> Okada's winning in, in, in the garden, period. I'm, I don't care if I'm going to be wearing a Jay White shirt or not. Okada's winning in the garden. And um, I, I would... Bro, I will be blown away. I will be blown away. Dude, yeah. I, I, I mentioned this in our group third earlier today. I would be shocked. I will be shocked. If Jay White retains. Like, I will literally... Like, I don't hardly... When it comes to big New Japan matches and big, you know, toss-up matches and stuff like that, I'm not usually this firm, like, one guy has to win sort of thing. But in this case, I will literally be blown. Like, I'll think it's a big mistake. And I don't usually feel that way, but I will feel like it is a big mistake if Jay White wins in the Garden. Yeah, and I can see why people make could make compelling arguments for why Jay White might win, but I just think it is the wrong move. Um, but I I don't think that this is bad booking that you laid out here, uh, Jai Bryan. You know that would make sense. White, you know, getting a. Here's the thing. My question is, I understand that for the last two years the runner-up has gotten a match at Dantaku, but. The calendar has changed a little bit this year, and it also feels like the tournament, New Japan Cup tournament, has kind of changed a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And I am wondering if they're going to position the guy who who was the runner-up to to get a title shot, you know, just uh, you know, the next few month. weeks. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to do that. I I mean, they could. They have before. I'm not discounting it, but it feels like the whole entire like, uh, you know complexion of the tournament and the implications are kind of different now than they used to be yeah question from reddit user rambone slam pig talking about sonata's potential and his inability to really live up to it is pretty regular topic of discussion for most njpw fans what do you think about sonata's performance in this tournament and especially in that final match does it give us a signal about any future plans with him um i mean what are your thoughts um i thought the final match with Okada was excellent. Um, I, I I will stick with this. I I was not a fan of the Suzuki match. I thought the Goto match. Uh, I was. I liked it. I just didn't think it was their best match. Right, but I mean, there are people. A lot of people have given it like four and a half. Yeah, I saw people loved that match. Uh, but I was like three point seven five. I think on it. So I I didn't think it was their best match, and I, I, that match didn't impress me. Hmm. Um, so, but I mean, the last, his last two, the Okada match and the Tanahashi matches were, were great. I don't want to, yeah, I don't know what to say. Cause I don't want to get criticism. <laughs> we had some criticism this past week. Um, well, we have another question about Sonata in a second. So we're, we're going to have to say something. 
Uh, I, I don't want to. Well, because I don't want it to come off the wrong way. Like I don't want it to seem like I don't like Sonata or something, right. and I don't feel like that's how I actually feel about it. Right. Well, hold, hold, hold your thoughts. Because on that. well, before we move on, I will say because all the things I've always thought about Sonata are still true, and all the criticisms I've ever had about Sonata are still true. Yeah. Nothing has changed. Um. So. Let's, let's hold on that Sonata okay. talk real quick. Uh, and so, I, I feel like I don't have anything new to say about it, I, except for just congratulating him on what's happened so far. But everything I've always thought and felt, it's it's still kind of there until yeah. some, nothing's changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he also goes on to say, does evil possibly getting into a program with Ishii signal that each are going solo for a while? What can we re- reasonably expect from a solo run for Sonata? Okay, that's a good question. Um, well, I had an, I had actually predicted that they weren't going to win the ta- uh, the tag titles at Wrestle Kingdom this year because I thought that they were going to go and do singles runs. Singles. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't mean that they're not going to be a tag team anymore. I think that they are in a unique position where they are a premier tag team who also happen to have that that are in the upper mid card and, you know, that have singles runs. Um so I don't think that this is anything new. Um, I, I do think that they're going to focus more on these guys have, you know, doing single stuff. And then, you know, it's still New Japan. They're still going to be doing a lot of Maltaman tags and that sort of things. We're just not going to see them probably in the immediate sense in, you know, two on two tag team matches. Yeah. Um, what can we expect out of a Sonata, you know, solo run? I really feel like that is completely up to the bookers and it's completely up to Sonata. Um, I would love, and I just want to put this out there before we, before we get into the discussion about Sonata and what he is and what he is and what he could be and yada yada. I have always thought that Sonata had the ability and the potential to be what I would call one of the upper, if not top, Japanese talents in the entire company. And if I've ever like criticized him, it's because I don't see him living up to that potential as things currently are. And it's because it's not like a new um, criticism like where people are like, when this guy came in in 2016, everybody was like, wow, Sonata, this guy's about to be something. And then 2017 happened and then 2018 happened. Now. And like last year, this time last year, we were like, he was getting his title shot and everyone's like, is this the time? Is this the time? And yeah. it was like, nope. nope. <laughs> and then he had that G1 and people liked, a lot of people are like, dude, people, people don't appreciate him because he had this incredible G1 and he wasn't getting all the praise for it. And it's like, yeah, you're right. But where did his character go from that? Yeah. His character didn't go anywhere. He was just a utility guy having great matches it's also hard to stand out in that B block when you're also in the same block as Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, yeah. Tetsuya Naito, that killer block man, Tomohiro Ishii, all guys who did have better all around performances than he did, and so. But here's the thing: I don't think there's any reason necessarily that they should be. I think that this is a guy who is every bit as talented as those guys, and so I feel like sometimes when we are harsh on on him particularly and maybe someone like say goto as well it's because we see the potential and what they could be and they're just not right now right and i don't think it's completely because they're not given the opportunities sometimes when they're given the opportunities they perform at a high level but not at that 
next level. Right. You know what I mean? And we had a question from one of our favorites, Mr. ACP. And he says, do you guys want to walk back any of your criticism of Sonata after the two bangers he had over the weekend? And uh no. no. <laughs> uh, and so I was waiting for this question to kind of get my my take out. So and I pretty much in agreement with you, man. I'm but so, I I don't want to like f- come off like persnickety, like I'm digging my heels in and right. be, and not like Here, giving the guy his due. Dude, he had two excellent matches with Okada and Tanahashi, and he did deliver in those main events. But you gotta you gotta admit, not every Big match he gets, does he deliver all the time? I think there are some matches where he does fail to live up to um, the standards of what he should be. Yeah, and I I want to kind of... And and like you, I, I love Sonata. And I mentioned this to somebody who commented on um, the thread last week. I th- We are hard. It's almost like a parent. You're, 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 you're hard on your... You're hard. <laughs> You're hard on your child because you want to see them succeed and you know they can do better. Yeah. Like, we're hard on guys like Goto and um, Sonata because we know how great they are and they should be delivering greatness every time they go out there. Do you think that we're unrealistic, though, and maybe that some of these guys are just upper mid-card acts and they don't need to be higher than they are and we, like... You know, because this company is so chock full of talent that we should, like, resolve ourselves to stop expecting, like, a Kenny Omega or Kota Ibushi or Okada-level performance out of some of these guys and just let them be what they are. Like, do you think we're too harsh on these guys sometimes? Because, I mean, that was a criticism that came up this past week, and I did start thinking about that, and I was like, well, maybe we are a little too harsh on them. Maybe, like, we're not. Maybe maybe we are expecting just too much out of them. Maybe yeah, maybe. But like when I see Sonata, like this is a guy that like was supposed to be the ace of all these different companies, and he came over and it did feel like. But he's poised Here, for something. Here's the thing, I I watched Sonata versus Tan- Tanahashi, and I watched I watched Sonata versus Okada, and I'm like, dude, this man is right. This man is great. Right. He, he could be a, a top guy. He could be the IWGP champion. Yeah. Um. But then you know you you watch another match and you're like. And it is funny because I hear a lot of people that also have criticisms of him and they talk about like the lack of emotions, the lack of facials throughout his matches mm-hmm. and in his stories. Um, you know, people not liking the Paradise Lock, not liking his skull end, and not liking maybe his general look, mm-hmm. and kind of saying like these are things that might need to change. But then there's other people who are like, you don't get the gimmick. Obviously, you're an idiot because that's the gimmick. You don't. You know, these moves that you're criticizing are over, you know, so it's like a double-edged sword, and I'm kind of, like, torn between the two, where I see both sides of the argument. And another thing, too, is, like, you had said, well, you said in big matches he doesn't deliver, and then you, after that, you said, to the level. And I think that that's important to, like, remind ourselves, like, we're not saying he doesn't deliver, we're saying, like, to the level, like, you know what I'm saying? I think I mentioned this too, I don't know if it was the same person, but somebody else I had mentioned to on one of the threads, I was like, sometimes, you know, as somebody that's doing a podcast and we're reviewing matches and we've been watching this for a while now, you kind of go into certain matches with certain wrestlers, a certain expectation or a certain level that you think they can hit. And when they don't reach that level, it's kind of like, okay, well, why, why isn't this person hitting this level? 
I just think with like with a talent like Sonata, we're sitting here hoping for more and hoping to see like that desire that that in such a competitive company with a guy who has like I said last week all the tools, you're hoping that he will take the next step and become something more. And with me saying that, that's I want to also say I think he started that process here in this tournament. I think that this tournament did more for him than last year's G1 did, believe it yeah. or not. Even though he probably had better performances overall in the G1, this was more of a highlight, more of a spotlight and gave him more credibility. And um, to answer the question earlier, like what do we what could we expect from a solo run? I would be surprised to see Sonata maybe later in the year tied up in the IC title picture. I think that that would be a great spot for him at this point in his career and hopefully another really great, you know, um, G1 run. Maybe he could be like in the A block and just kill it over there and like keep him away from some of them killers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like but then again, we're still waiting to see Sonata come out here and show everything that he has because I still feel like he's not at the Okada level and I'm waiting for that to happen and I, w I think he could be. Is That's the thing is I feel like he could be and I don't want to see him be here for like 10 years, never get to the level and then us saying, well, what happened? Right. That's my thing. It's like now's the time. Dude's not that young. What, he's like 36? Somewhere in that range, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's not like it's not like he's a spring chicken. Yeah, he's been here for a, not in this company, but he's been wrestling for a while. Now's the time, like pull the trigger. Maybe he's only thirty-two. I don't know. Well, I mean, go to the Google machine real quick. Yeah, I I felt bad last week when uh, I read those comments, and uh, I I don't I didn't catch the name of the person that that was saying, but I, you know, because I don't want it to come off like we don't like. Actually, he's uh, thirty-one. Okay, he's thirty-one. So he's like a year older than me. So we're both old. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want it to come off like we don't like Japanese mid-card talent or don't connect with them or something like that. It's just uh, some of these guys, Goto and um, Sonata in particular. Evil. Well, I'm not that high on evil. But uh, <laughs> but the company is. I know they are. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, w I want to see more from them, but especially Sonata because Sonata is a guy that I think could be right, right. I think he could be a star in this company. And um, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not gonna walk back any of the criticism I had. He had two bangers, and I'd like to see him keep doing it. Yeah. All right. So getting ready to kind of wrap up this New Japan Cup talk, we want to list out our um, top five matches and top five wrestles of the tournament. We also want to announce the winner of our New Japan Cup prediction contest. So which one do you want to do first? Let's run through the top five wrestlers of the of the tournament. So. Our number five competitor, out of and there was thirty two competitors. Number five, Zach Saber Jr. He had that incredible run. They were booking him as to re repeat and all that until he ran into Tanahashi. Just excellent stuff all around. Number four, Hiroshi Tanahashi with the uh, Fujinami run and yeah, a lot of fun. He made it all the way to the semifinals. You know, pulled out some great matches. Number three. Sonata making it all the way to the finals. He had a great tournament, some really great matches. Number two, and this is going to be a shock to some people, I think, but our number two top competitor in the tournament, Kazushika Okada, the winner of the New Japan Cup tournament. 
He had a great tournament all around. Um, aside from the Mikey Nichols match, which I know Jeremy shaking his head right now. But, uh, yeah, Okada. And then our number one top competitor for the entire New Japan Cup in 2019, Tomohiro Ishii. Banger after banger after banger. This man is a wrestling machine. Hey, guys. Unfortunately, we had some uh, technical difficulties um, towards the um, latter part of our, our recording here. So um, um, kind of our conversation about um, our top five uh, wrestlers and top five uh, uh, matches got kind of cut a little bit. Uh, but I just want to, I'm going to wrap the show up. We are recording really late here. So a uh, young boy had to depart. So I'm just going to cl- uh, close the show up real quick. Um, but um, as we were talking about the top five matches, the top, t- top five wrestlers, um, that was leading into our wrestler of the month and match of the month uh, discussion. So our uh, wrestler of the month is uh, Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull. And our match of the month is the uh, Tetsuya Naito versus Kota Ibushi matchup. Uh, then we did t- we did list out our uh, top five current New Japan theme songs, but um, we'll redo that question next week uh, when Josh and I are both on here. Uh, real quick, just want to uh, cover the kind of the big news of the week. The uh, Madison Square Garden card um, has been fully released. Uh, so we have the IWGP champion Jay White defending against Kazuchika Okada. The ROH world champion Jay Lethal defending against Marty Skrull and Matt Taven in a triple threat ladder match. The IWGP intercontinental champion Tetsuya Naito defending against Kota Ibushi. The Rev Pro British heavyweight champion Zack Sabre Jr. defending against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Uh, title vs. title match, the IWGP Tag Team Champions, Tamatonga vs. Tangaloa vs. ROH Tag Champions, PCO and Brody King. First the Briscoes vs. Evil and Sonata. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, Taiji Ishimori, defending against Dragon Lee and Bandito in a triple threat match. Bully Ray in a New York City Street Fight Open Challenge. The Women of Honor World Champion, Mayu Itami, defending against Kelly Klein. Roosh defending against Dalton Castle. And title versus title, never open weight champion, Will Ospreay versus the Ring of Honor TV champion, Jeff Cobb. And then the pre-show, the 30-man Honor Rumble match. Um, on the pre-show, right now, the only uh, contestant announced is Jushin Thunder Liger. Um, so that was the major uh, kind of news item for this week. Um, other quick notes, uh, Kota Ibushi has been announced for the Royal Quest. Um, the history of Tanahashi part two is up. Um, so yeah, so that we're pretty much towards the end of the show and somehow the recording cut out. Um, thanks for sticking with us guys. And, um, you know, we're we're looking forward to giving our predictions next week, uh, for the G1 super card. Uh, so we'll be breaking that show down, working on getting a special guest to help us, um, uh, give a preview and predictions for the G1 super card. You know, make sure you guys spread the word about Suplex Mania um, happening um, April 7th, WrestleMania weekend. We want to meet all you guys, man. Um, we were kind of joking. I'm, I'm really mad this part got cut out, but we were just talking about, um, you know, we want to meet the faces um, behind the names and just saying, you know, I, I really got to know what the face behind a Rambone Slam Pig looks like. And I think you're going to be out there in New York. So. Come say hi to us um, at the shows. Come hang out with us at Suplex Mania. Um, like I said, next week we'll be back giving our predictions for the G1 Supercard. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. 
the uh, you can also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Join us in the Wrestling Squared Circle group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sunday, One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. Monday, the Omega Luke Podcast. Wednesday, the Rookie and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast is dedicated to independent uh, pro wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryant. On Friday, we have NXT Then, Now, and Forever. And on Saturday, we have All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.